This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Pistachio Day. The day of the little green-ish nut in a hard shell. My favorite day is always named after a nut. Uh, ben, you a big pistachio eater? I am. What do you do with the ones that you can't open? I just leave them in there for somebody else to deal with. <laughs> Mom, will you eat this pistachio? I try to break a tooth. I just try to get a little edge. If you can just get a corner, just dig your tooth into it, there's a chance you can get one of those out. Pistachio ice cream? I hear it's good. I've never tried it. It's really good. Pudding? Ooh, pistachio pudding. It's good stuff. I don't know that I've had that. Had that over the weekend. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That's something I'm going to try this weekend. If I survive buying a car. Try to get the kind without the little chunks of pistachio in it. What's it called? Um... Is it? Oh no! Never mind. Please share. Uh, pistachio ice cream. Is it green? It can be. It doesn't have to be. Oh, that sounds good. Okay, it's I'm gonna, writing that it's down. It's got to be artificial coloring, but yeah. Hey, uh, I don't know if you guys. I, I didn't get to see the debate last night. I I heard a lot of it because I'm buying a car and I was just running around between dealers. Were you yelling at people? No. I will not pay no. high price. No. Okay. But I realized you can't buy a car when you're tired. No, that would be a bad time. So I finally got to the point of negotiating and it was about a, it was about quarter to 10 last night. And I was like, "Okay, I'm too tired." The guy looked at me like, "Come on, you wuss. Let's get going." Bring anyway, it on. Man, bring it on. So uh, that, that'll be my weekend. Hey, um, but that debate, crazy. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, they came out. Finally, somebody was taking on the, the, the Don, the Teflon Don. How do you think he did? Most of the polling? Yeah. Trump won. Of course. Did you hear the, the people cheering when he'd come out with a line or two? Or, but I think Ted, or I think... Uh, Which doesn't fit his narrative that the entire audience is full of donors right? and... And those types of people, not necessarily actual voters, these are all people who give money to campaigns, and none of them like me, and they're cheering for him. Right. It was interesting because it was the first time I'd seen anybody push him for specifics. And Rubio had a really good moment because he kept pushing for specifics, pushing for specifics. Um, and the real- and he even hit him on, look, you're repeating yourself. The old uh, Chris Christie moment. In fact, it, let's listen to it. Uh, well, this is, we're just going to go through a bunch of clips now and give you a chance to uh, to get a feel for the debate. So that's the only part of the plan? Just the lines, the in- interstate well, competition? No, the, the nice part about the plan, you'll have many different plans. You'll have competition. You'll have so many different plans. But now he's I repeating think, himself. No, Mr. I'm Trump. not repeating. No, no, no. 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 I don't repeat myself. I don't. They're talking about repeating. I watched him repeat himself five times four weeks ago. And I, I saw you repeat you, yourself five times five seconds ago. I watched him. I watched him. 
meltdown on the stage like I've never seen anybody. I thought he came out of the swimming pool. I said... Well, let's talk, let's I talk about your Listen to the moderator. It says five things. Everyone's dumb. He's going to make America great Senator again. Rubio. We're going to win, win, win. Senator He's Rubio, winning in the please. polls. And the lines around the state. If you could talk a little bit more about your plan. I know you talked about the No, no, uh, the we're going to have many different plans because there's going to be competition. it again. <laughs> there's going to be competition. He's talking about He's repeating himself, yeah. He's saying that if we eliminate the rules about uh, health care our uh, insurance providers going across yeah. borders yeah. that will open up more opportunity. Right. That's the only thing he would say about his health care plan. Line, lines around the states. Lines around the states. He's saying it again. But then Rubio shot out the five things that Trump always says. It's crazy. Uh, here, listen to what uh, – but this is kind of this is the this is the retort. This is what Trump came back with. I mean, first of all, this guy's a choke artist and this guy's a liar. You have a combination of factors – he this can't so do it typical. for the obvious reason, and he can't do it because he doesn't he does. know how to tell the truth. But don't forget Ben Carson. He, he was in the We're going to have to encourage them to act in an appropriate way, or we will lose our religious freedom. And as president, I would go through and I would look at what a person's life has been. What have they done in the past? What kind of judgments have they made? What kind of associations do they have? That will tell you a lot more than an interview will tell you. The fruit salad of their life is what I will look at. Thank you, Dr. Carson. Is, is that a common phrase? The fruit salad of their life? Yeah. Hell yeah. I think he's all about trademarking himself. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. But <laughs> this, is, this, is an, this America is like a fruit salad. Okay. It's not just a big marmalade. It was weird. I, I mixed all together. I started different pieces, different looking flavors. around online last night, and there was a lot of photos of fruit salad everywhere. I'm like, what's going on? Ben Carson <laughs> had the best line in the entire debate. So they're all going at it, like two two little pit bulls gnawing on Trump's legs, and it went on for like two minutes where you couldn't even hear what was being said, and then oh, somewhere, uh, good old Ben Carson says, "Would somebody please?" attack me and everybody broke out screaming good job <sighs> trump uh pushed big time to release his taxes that all started with mitt romney in the in the i think earlier yesterday was it my days are all a, a, a muck uh but this is this is one re- first of all the reason he's being audited seems very interesting this was actually after the debate when yeah. he was interviewed Always audited by the IRS, which I think is very unfair. I don't know, maybe because of religion, maybe because of something else, maybe because I'm doing this, although this is just recently. religion? Well, maybe because of the fact that I'm a strong Christian and I feel strongly about it, and maybe there's a bias. You think maybe you, you get audited for being well, a strong you see, Christian? you see what's happened. I mean, you have many religions. Huh? Well. Two Corinthians. <laughs> wouldn't it make more sense that he's just being audited because he's a billionaire? Well, a 10 billionaire. A ten billionaire. Yeah, uh, he has a lot of money. See, but that—that's why nobody likes politics. Because we know Don. Come on, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. You totally are. Whatever. It's not why you're being audited. And he can't turn in his tax returns because they're—he's um, under audit. Uh, Mitt Romney looked like a fool when he delayed and delayed and delayed, and Harry Reid baited him so beautifully. And Mitt Romney didn't file his return until September 21st of 2012, about a month and a half before the election. And it cost him big league. 
As far as my return, I want to file it. Except for many years, I've been audited every year. 12 years or something like that. Every year, they audit me, audit me, audit me. It's because he has a lot of money. They want to make sure they get it all. Well, and he's a Christian. He's a Christian. It's obviously religious-based. Yeah. They brought out the fact that, uh, in fact, that was a good jab that uh, Rubio threw, but Trump had a a great response about, you're the only guy that has um, hired illegal immigrants. And then Trump came back, I'm the only guy that's hired anybody on this stage. Boom. Not true. They all have staffs. But then they went, so you, when you build the wall, the only way you know how to build things is with illegal immigrants. So how are we going to do this? <laughs> if you're going to send them all home, how are they going to build your wall? It's an interesting situation because it, I think if Rubio had been this strong early, it would have been different. Well, You can't inflate the dawn like right now, for he, months. Rubio's new nickname from Trump is Choke Artist. Right. He said it multiple times. I, I bet we'll probably hear it for multiple days in a row. Yeah. He's a choke artist. Right. Except last night he didn't really choke. But I, I don't think – I think Trump will still win because I don't think in the end it matters to his people. His people want – No. They want Trump. Now, can you slow down the Trumpster? I don't know. I think at this point it doesn't matter. Look at all the things he's done. And this is he said. this is the thing because if all of a sudden uh, Rubio is really getting stronger and and Ted Cruz is getting maybe more or stronger but more desperate and willing to say anything. Now all of a sudden they're going to maybe injure him, so he no. he could win the nomination but you know be limping in and already show the flaw. They, there's a photo after the debate as they're walking away. Trump standing at his. Uh, podium still and uh, rubio walks over to Cru- uh, to cruise and they give kind of a little high five hey did they <laughs> we got it we did it <laughs> it's amazing this is the weirdest race ever um in fact let's just but but donald did give uh, some specifics on how he wants to uh cut government we're going to make many cuts in business we're getting rid of we're going to get rid of so many different things department of education common core is out we're going local environmental protection we waste all of this money we're going to bring that back to the states we are going to cut many of the agencies we will balance our budget and we will be dynamic again so he's specific that was very specific yeah uh he's going to cut here give it to the states he's going to balance this and we'll be great again I think it was Wolf, Wolf Blitzer then went – because I think it would cost like $10 trillion, they say, to do the budget – to do his proposal over 10 years, $10 trillion. And yet uh, – so then Wolf came out and said, well, cutting the Department of Education would be this much. Cutting this would be this much. Cutting the EPA would – so it was about – I can't remember. I can't remember. $60, 70000000000 billion or maybe $100 billion. Where do we get the other money from? And he just then repeated the same yeah. thing. But it's going to be a more dynamic economy is what he's saying. There will be more competition. He's a deal maker. He's a deal maker. <laughs> it's interesting. This is the weirdest. But honestly, it's the most detail I've ever heard. So finally they push him to details. I mean it's not a lot of details. It's basically no details. But, but it's but more than what he'd said it's before. It's more than yeah. he's ever said before. It's more than <laughs> he's ever had to say. And so, again, if this had been done – Two months ago? But the problem was everyone was still dealing with all the nonsense things he was saying. Yeah. That he was just getting up there and, you know, speaking his mind. Yeah. And so instead yeah. of policies, you're dealing with this other stuff. And then by the time you get to the policies, the debate's over. He, he said he did. I think he earned some points probably more in a general election 
where he was talking about health care. And he's like, we're not going to let poor people die. They've got to be insured. So you may not like it, but somehow we have to insure these people. But he'll repeal. No, he'll what's he, yeah, repeal and, that'll be and tough replace to, it. That'll be tough to sell. Yeah. Because that doesn't really track. I mean, that's kind of the the mission of Obamacare, but it didn't quite, you right. know, it's still reaching. But Obamacare is horrible. Of course. Donald and the, they're all saying, but repeal and replace. Without a plan to replace it with something. It's, so, it's such a different contrast to what you see with the Democrats where the two of them, they get really deep into their, you know, into their platforms. But I don't know. It's you never know what to believe anymore because who's really behind all of this? Is this just puppetry for big businesses? That's one of the things we're going to talk about with our guest uh, coming up in a few minutes. Stephen Spaulding will be joining us. He's the legal director and senior policy uh, uh, counsel um, at the Common Cause, which is a group uh, that's trying to reduce the undue influence of money in politics and expand access to democracy um, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion about how money is impacting our political system. Since 2010, $500 billion has been flowing through the entire uh, political uh, you know, machines of the United States. And we've used it well. That is crazy. In six years, $500 billion – and 84% of Americans say there's undue influence by big business and money. So we're going to get to that and why it's such a big deal. It's a huge part of the platform of the Burnster. The Burn. So we'll get to that in a minute with Stephen uh, Spaulding. But first, let's get to the headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Thanks, Matt. Four people are dead, 14 others injured after a gunman opened fire Thursday in a Kansas town before attacking the manufacturing plant where he worked, Harvey County Sheriff T. Walton. As of now, uh, there's a lot of things going on. There are known deaths in regards to these shootings. There are a lot of shot victims. The shooter himself has been shot and killed. Uh, there are numerous crime scenes involved here, and uh, this will take some time to work through this. Because there's, there's so many crime scenes and there's so many people. Police said the gunman Cedric Ford, who was identified by co-workers and friends in local reports, wounded two people on the street before he drove to Excel Industries in Hessen, Kansas, then shot one person in the parking lot, opened fire inside the building using an assault-style long gun. Five victims are in critical condition. One person was undergoing surgery and eight others were in stable condition, Walton said. Co-workers and friends told CNN reporters that they would never in a million years imagine 38-year-old Ford capable of the shooting. Excel employed Matt Gerald, employee Matt Gerald said he was a mellow guy. He added he was somebody I could talk to about anything. Before the mayhem started, Gerald said that Ford just parked and then opened the door, hopped out with the gun on, strapped up and everything. Uh, Ford yelled, hey, at a visible, uh, as a, a visible bystander and then shot that person, Gerald added. I witnessed him shoot the, the shots. I saw the shell casings come out of the assault rifle. He just Man. stepped out of his car and started shooting. Ugh. Tragic. Not sure what the motive is, but they'll uh, look into it. He's had some run-ins with the law in Florida and in, in Kansas, but for all reports, he's 
I guess some people thought he was a normal guy. Other people thought he was kind of weird. Right, so yeah. All that kind of stuff goes on. Brian Sandoval said Thursday that he was withdrawing himself from consideration for the vacant seat on the Supreme Court one day after it was reported that the White House was considering the Nevada Republican governor for the seat. I notified the White House that I do not wish to be considered at this time for possible nomination. Uh, the notion of being considered for the seat on the highest court in the land is beyond humbling, and I am incredibly grateful to have been mentioned. I wonder huh. if he. I wonder if there was another part of the quote, like I don't want to be a sacrificial yeah. lamb in I'm not, this turf yeah, battle. Don't bring me up in this thing. Yeah, he's trying to stay away from that. Um, in other news, Beirut. What? Ever, have you ever been to Beirut? Uh, twice. You've been there twice. Uh, we we uh, yeah. Sometimes we summer there. Apparently, they're having a garbage problem. Oh, really? Residents have been embroiled in a garbage overflow problem oh, no. for months, which stretched back to 2015. The issue stems from competing government fractions who were unable to reach a decision on how to work around the closure of the city's primary landfill. A defunct collection facility combined with heavy rainfall in the area caused massive amounts of uncollected trash to flow into the streets of Beirut, bringing with it a stench so unpalatable that some have called it toxic. There's there's these pictures of this road kind of off the side of the city that's just full of garbage bags. That's where they're just kind of a makeshift landfill and... Yeah, that happened in New York years yeah. ago. That is just nasty. Then the, then the then the rodents come out. Right. Bah! Then it just turns into a bigger problem. So Then yeah. what do you do? Oh, poor. Poor people in Beirut. Uh, interesting um, s- subject coming up. You may have heard Bernie Sanders talk about we, we've got to have campaign finance, re- finance reform. President Obama, in, in his last uh, State of the Union address, we've got to do something about campaign finance reform. And today we're going to be talking about what, what does it mean? What is the impact and influence of money in our political system? Is it, and is it creating the very chaos we're seeing in today's election and the inability for our elected officials to actually get along and get something done? Well, joining us in just a few minutes, Stephen Spaulding will be with us. And we're going to untie the chaos around the money behind the campaigns crazy numbers, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've heard much on the subject of money and politics uh, remember uh, the last State of the Union, President Obama himself has spoken on the, the topic. Um, it's no secret that there is a rising problem of big money's role in our nation's political system. In fact, according to a New York Times CBS poll completed last summer, 84% of Americans, irrespective of party, believe that the money has too much influence on political campaigns. While plenty are aware of the threat the power of big money has um, on the country's democracy, Little is being said about the actual solutions for how you fix it. Everyone will say we've got to do something about it. It's a great, I guess, position. But uh, in the end, what are the solutions? What are the real answers? And in fact, some people probably wouldn't say that there is a problem with too much money. Uh, joining us now is Stephen Spaulding, legal director and senior policy counsel uh, counselor at Common Cause, where he works to reduce the undue influence of money in politics and expand access to democracy, uh, by the way, trying to do it with the highest ethical standards in government. Wouldn't that be a great thing? He joins us now to talk to us more about uh, 
the financial impact on our democracy. Stephen Spaulding, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Pleasure to be with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Talk to us about this. This, I mean, we hear about it all the time, but then when I when I get into some of the articles and read more about what's going on, this is this is crazy money. This is these are crazy numbers that are impacting these presidential elections. Billion dollars to run for president. Not only to run for president, but you can think about all of the money that is also infecting. Um, our elections at every level of government. So, yes, the presidency and that race takes up a lot of the oxygen in the room, and that's because, of course, the president is an, as, as incredible power and a lot of influence, and that's where, that's where people are really paying attention. But while people are attention, paying attention to all of that money, which is indeed a problem, um, you also have money going into the hands of senators and members of Congress and governors and state legislators. And a lot of that money is coming from a very unrepresentative segment of the American population. It's not, it's not a lot of people that can afford to write um, four five-figure checks to candidates. And I think it's common sense that a lot of people expect um, something in return when they make that kind of a contribution to a candidate. And our concern is that really undermines the, the very basic principles of our democracy, which is that everyone's voice is supposed to be heard. Everyone is supposed to have equal influence and come to the political table um, as an equal citizen. But when you throw money into the mix, it really, it really gets things out of balance. And we then have a, a government that is more responsive to the desires of of um, the donor class, which, as I said, is not very representative of America as a whole. Right. And then you have uh, Bernie Sanders, who is is getting donations from, you know, just the average Joe, millions of people, I guess, donating. All he has to do is make an announcement and um, he doesn't even have to open up a pack. He just can make an announcement and individual contributions of twenty seven dollars roll in. Is that more what you're thinking should be the standard? Well, let me, let me say this. Um, we, we support policies and solutions that have been working um, at the state level, and that would be um, small donor public financing systems that really empower the voices of average, um, ordinary Americans. So hmm. small donors um, are able to contribute to candidates and have those contributions matched with a limited amount of public funds. You know, that's how every president of the United States ran for president, from Jimmy Carter all the way up through uh, President George W. Bush. Every single one of those presidents, indeed every single uh, nominee of both the Republican and the Democratic Party, ran on public financing. So what happened is you would, you would collect um, a number of small-dollar donors – and those dollars would, as I said, be matched. And then candidates can get back to debating ideas, talking to their constituents and voters, and not just talking to deep-pocketed pocketed special interests. When, right. when Ronald Reagan ran for re-election, this is a, a fascinating statistic, when Ronald Reagan uh, ran for re-election back in 1984, take a wild guess at how many fundraisers uh, he attended. Hmm. Uh, in '84, so this is post Carter or, or pre uh, post Carter. Um, yep. I would say ten. He attended three. Oh he my heavens! Three fundraisers, and they were actually all on behalf of the Republican National Committee. In 2012, 
President Obama in that year alone attended 223. Oh, my so heavens. We've seen a complete title change in how we fund our presidential elections. So what, what I do want to get back to and what I think we've seen a success in Maine and in Connecticut where average ordinary people are able to run for the state house, Republicans and Democrats, they're able to collect small dollar donations, small donations from their friends and neighbors. They can then get a small match uh, that lets them run a competitive campaign, and then they're able to get back to discussing issues. That's how 80-plus percent of Maine's legislature has been elected, Hmm. Um, similar numbers in Connecticut. Um, We're seeing that model begin to shift. In the city of Chicago, voters um, just last year voted on a non-binding ballot resolution saying that's how we want our city council members and our mayors to run. In New York City, that's how it works. In Los Angeles, that's how that works. So I think that kind of system is going to bubble up and eventually we'll see real reform. It's. I'm assuming um, these are the same companies and, and power sources and power people that are donating uh, behind the scenes are the same ones that are the lobbyists running a lot of the legislative agenda. Absolutely, the money is 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 uh, when I, when I talk about the donor class, what I'm talking about are yes, wealthy wealthy interests, but um, the, they they are able to channel their funds not just uh, to political campaigns, but it is also the lobbying. When you have um, companies and industries spending millions of dollars a day lobbying members of conference. Congress, that, that, that also really sets our system out of balance because then what you have are you have the staff members who are, who are very overworked and understaffed on Capitol Hill reaching out to lobbyists right. to really quickly learn an issue, and, um, and, that, and that really can skew political outcomes, we think. So we also absolutely need to look at closing the revolving door, making sure that lobbying is open and transparent. But, you know, it's no surprise that a lot of the issues that move – through Capitol Hill. Right now, not a lot is moving, but the issues that tend to move like butter are those that um, that benefit um, the the donor class in this country. Well, and when a lobbyist is, is helping Senate staffers, they're really, in many ways, from other guests we've talked to, they're basically writing the legislation and handing it to the staffers. And, and, and they become the support staff for the staffers. That's that's right. And now there 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 are issues there. Of course, one of the reasons is actually because we our our members of, of Congress have the, the, their own budget has been cut, so they're not right. able to hire um, kind of non non ideologically driven uh, uh, staff members who can provide advice that that is they don't have they don't necessarily have the resources themselves. Yeah. To, that all these issues. And to be clear, Common Cause is a lobbying organization. There are a lot of public interest lobbyists, too. But the resources of private interest um, gra- you know, greatly outweigh that hmm. of those of private interest. And that's why you know, we work every day to make sure that citizens can get their voices in. They can call their members of Congress. They can meet with them back at home. They can, they can send letters and, and really and, and make it clear that um, they, too, Need to be need to be listened to is um, then there was a court case. It seems like that that maybe tipped this uh, tipped this I guess too far, uh, you know, out of the the realm of possibly having a more kind of small donor public finance world. Where was it? Was it Citizens United? Is that where this really started getting sideways? Well, Citizens United. Um, really, really took our system and um, empowered, again, corporations and other 
special interest to spend unlimited amounts. Basically, what the decision said was that a corporation, um, a nonprofit or for-profit, could spend an unlimited amount of money from their general treasury funds supporting or uh, trying to defeat candidates. So that unleashed hundreds of millions of dollars into our elections, much of it in secret, because the court assumed in that decision that at least the money that would be spent would be disclosed so that shareholders could decide whether the companies of which they are part owners of are spending money wisely so that voters would know if elected officials are, you know, quote, in the pocket of so-called moneyed interests, end quote. That's what the court said. And um, unfortunately, we don't have that system of disclosure set up. So the court was a bit naive there, Mm. and we have not acted uh, to update our disclosure laws. There was a bill called the Disclose Act that passed the House in 2010. It was filibustered in the Senate. It actually had uh, supermajority support. It had 59% of the Senate voted for it. But um, because of the way that the rules have been rigged in the Senate, it actually takes 60 votes. Uh, if if anyone demands it. And so that bill failed, and we still are dealing with the consequences. Of course, there's lots of other actors that could pass common sense rules to disclose some of this some of this new money. But I do want to be clear that there's nothing in Citizens United that prohibits um, these kind of small donor public financing systems mm-hmm. that I'm referring yeah. to. In fact, those have been routinely upheld, as have disclosure laws. So we know that there are plenty of solutions that we can still work on, although we do need to eventually address Citizens United directly. Well, and even just a few years ago, um, it seemed like this is almost a game of, you know, um, cat and mouse where one candidate might say, I'm, I'm going to go for public funding, but another candidate's not going to accept public funding and then can just fundraise as much as they want. And then all of a sudden you're kind of forced if you're going dollar for dollar and you want to have an impact to just not accept public funds. Well, that, that's a challenge, although what I'll say is when you talk to candidates, and again, Republicans and Democrats that have participated in the system, yes, it can be um, a little daunting dollar for dollar at this point, but um, it's, it's not as daunting voter for voter because voters are going to know, you know, is this candidate supporting my interests or is this right. candidate supporting the donor's interests? And many times, donors that don't even live in that district, I mean, you have to ask yourself, um, why would a um, someone who lives in New York City or Los Angeles fund a Senate race in Nebraska or in your home state of Utah. Right, right. Um, they don't get to vote in that election. They don't have a. They don't have a right to vote for that candidate. So, what are they expecting in return mm-hmm. for that kind of um, money? Money that can um, outweigh and um, really, really uh, flood flood a district in which they don't even live, and it's probably because they want something in return in the yeah, form of absolutely. And, and you see this in today's election. You hear uh, everybody's pushing against uh, Hillary Clinton because of her Wall Street connections, and so is she being bought off by Wall Street and Trump's self-funding, so he obviously has our best interest at heart. And so they're, they're, all, they're all talking about it to some degree. Um, let's do this, Stephen. Let's take a break, come back. I want you to talk to us about your... Um, your your kind of your resolution your your solution of uh, that's discussed in that article fighting big money empowering people you've put together a plan uh, of goal and a process for how we can um, how we can push this and and get back to where the people have access uh, greater access even than just or at least the same access than just the wealthy the um, those that have money the resources the businesses. 
Stick with us, folks. Interesting, interesting insight into maybe some of the complexity you see going on and chaos and almost irrational, you know, maneuvers going on in our political system. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, hoping to help you see the world better. We'll be right back. to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, today on the phone with us is Stephen Spaulding, legal director and senior uh, policy uh, leader at Common Cause, where he works to reduce the undue influence of money in politics, expand access to democracy, and uphold ethical standards in government. Uh, Stephen, welcome back to the show. Huge issue. I really, I, I believe it. I can see the data. And you, you're not fighting the fight alone. There are other organizations. I guess you're, you're a member. You're the Common Cause is a member of a group of uh, a collective of thirteen other groups, and you've put together some solutions. What, what are some of the things we can do? Well, that's right. You know, we did work with a number of organizations, and we are working to kind of insert this into the. Uh, elections at, at every level, which, which, as you mentioned, is called our Fighting Big Money and Empowering People 21st Century Democracy Agenda. And there's really five principles in this document, uh, which we think every candidate should embrace. One, we need a democracy where everyone participates, where everyone's voice is heard, where everyone knows who is trying to influence our views and our representatives. We really need a democracy where everyone plays by fair and common sense rules and finally, where everyone is held accountable. And I'll quickly kind of go through the yeah, policies please. that will further these. So one, where everyone participates. That is the small donor public financing system that I described earlier, which has been working with great success at the municipal level in New York City and in Maine, where actually a very strong majority of voters went to the polls and uh, voted in an initiative to update and modernize that system back in November. And that kind of a system, again, lets legislators spend less time fundraising from their deep-pocketed donors and more time talking to their neighbors and constituents. There are bills in Congress that would set that up for Congress, too. One is the Government by the People Act. Another is the Empowering Citizens Act and the Fair Elections Now Act in the Senate. So on the other policies, you know, where we want everyone's voice to be heard and not just the very wealthy, we need to ensure that we have strong contribution limits in place so that, um, you know, in some states, for example, in Oregon and in Virginia, Anybody, including corporations, can give any amount of money to a candidate. We think that system kind of really sets up a system that is on the borderline of authorizing almost legalized bribery in a yeah. way, yeah, yeah. even though we have those laws in place. So we need a system with strong contribution limits so that everybody's voice is heard. Finally, as I was – not finally, but third, as I was saying, where we need everybody to, to know who is trying to influence our views, we need to pass just common-sense transparency laws so that you as a voter – can follow the money and see who is spending what to influence our campaign. Since 2010, it's been over $500 million uh, that has been spent, has come from secret sources. So there are bills in Congress like the Disclose Act that would fill in the gaps after Citizens United. States like Massachusetts and Rhode Island have passed new laws 
modeled off of that. But there are other places where we can where we can ensure that there's more sunlight in political spending. And that's For a no-brainer, right? Yeah, well, Just... it should be. Yeah, I mean, eight out of the nine justices upheld it. Ninety percent of Americans understand this. But there are powerful interests in this country that would like to continue to spend money in secret, and they fought hard. <laughs> to block these kinds of laws. So while Congress might be bottled up right now in gridlock, we do think the Federal Election Commission, you know, has independent authority to update their laws. The Securities and Exchange Commission that oversees our public uh, public public companies could require public companies to disclose any political spending to shareholders. The, right. the Federal Communications Commission, which, which oversees our, you know, airwaves, our broadcast airwaves, could require could require disclosure. The president of the United States could sign an executive order requiring government contractors to disclose any spending that they might give to third-party secret money groups and spending money. So we need more disclosure. Well, and everybody Um, cries about it, yet nobody's moving. Well, that's right. Um, That's right. And that's why we we are inserting the solution. We've heard a lot about problems. We need need more um, solutions. We need to change the way that the Supreme Court thinks about um, money in politics. It's basically said the only guiding principle that allows campaign finance laws is is to curb corruption. And while that is an important interest, I think there's another interest in this country, which is kind of political equality, as I was saying, where it's one person, one vote, not one dollar, one vote. And so we need to ensure that, you know, maybe leveling the playing field is something that the court could look at again as a possible principle to uphold these laws so that everybody has equal voice. And then finally, mm-hmm. what we really need are our agencies to do their job. The Federal Election Commission has been mired in partisan gridlock and hasn't really been able to to move things um, and hold hold violators accountable. So we really might need to look at really restructuring the Federal Election Commission. So that's the plan. We're asking candidates to support this plan. Common Cause is a nonpartisan organization. We don't endorse candidates, but we do put these ideas out there, and we hope that candidates will take them and run with them because they've had real success at the state and local level and in past, uh, past years at the federal level, too. Well, it seems as uh, we listen, we hear Trump's support uh, from people that feel like their voices aren't being heard. We hear it uh, maybe as part of a major part of Bernie Sanders' success. Um, People aren't being heard. They They don't have their voice being listened to. So it also, I guess, some of that is maybe they're just the Congress, Senate, presidents, or they're they're deaf uh, in a way, and and maybe some of that is just they're being impeded by the money. Well, absolutely, and we really need to we really need to now be shifting the conversation to talk about the solutions that empower voices and bring more balance in. I mean, I do think it's interesting that it's been a theme. I think um, it's two sides of of a coin here between Sanders, who's raising money from small dollar donors and Donald Trump who's saying, you know, he he isn't raising money from special interests, but but I think if you took that to a to an extreme, um, people need money to run for office in this country. Right. And I think if we only had self-funded billionaires running for office, um, <laughs> you have to ask yourself whether the public interest is represented there because right. it's not necessarily anyone's fault for getting into politics that they themselves, you know, don't don't have billions of dollars in their bank account. We need to come up with a system that allows people to run for office, which is what our democracy is, is based on, not just those who happen to be happen to be wealthy. So that's why these solutions it, we can't just say, you know, get out get getting money out of politics is getting big money out of politics is a worthy goal. It certainly, you know, fits on a bumper sticker. But what we really need to do are we money is going to be in the system. Yeah. So we need to figure out where that money is coming from. And where that money is, um, 
where that money is going. Is didn't the Supreme Court somewhere um, basically agree or position that um, it's free speech? Giving money to a candidate is freedom of speech, so you can't limit their freedom. Well, so there was a decision that started a lot of this, Buckley v. Vallejo, a decision that was decided actually 40 years ago uh, this year, which, which tried to make that parallel, which tried to equate giving money to political candidates with speech. Um, we think that that's not free speech. We think that that is paid speech <laughs> right. and that there can be common sense uh, rules here. Of course, there's a connection between spending money and, and speech. It takes money to put up a billboard, right? It takes money to, to print campaign literature. But, but that's not the same thing necessarily as saying money is speech. Money is, is property. It's not necessarily words coming out, of, coming out of anyone's mouth. So that really is one of the original kind of sins here that we have to deal with, which is ultimately money is is going to have a role in the system, but it depends on where it's coming from. No, no amendment is, you know, per se um, absolute. And even when there may be First Amendment interests here, no one, no one assumes that you can, crowd, you know, scream fire in a crowded theater, that you can defame people, you know, in right. the newspaper. Those are all places where we found um, some sort of a balance, and where where it's just common sense to people that. Spending an unlimited amount of money out of your bank account is not the same thing as talking to your neighbors or in the town square about about politics. Right, and, and I love the fact that you bring it up that this is this is the presidential election, but it's also on every level yeah. of, of, yeah. of of government nationwide. And and, and like you're, you're giving us examples of Connecticut and Maine, and um, I think even New York. Why, why are it seems like so many of these more liberal kind of minded states? Well, you know, it's interesting because those systems, um, this is a bipartisan problem and it has bipartisan solutions with with Americans across the country of Republicans and Democrats alike that support these. Um, Maine system was set up by a ballot initiative. So Hmm. when when politicians weren't going to move it, voters did it themselves. That's great. Um, and so, um, you know, there was a very strong system actually in Arizona, a public financing system that had provisions that were um, ultimately um, after Citizens United need to be fixed. But, but there has been success um, in red states too. Arizona, I don't want to forget Arizona. It's just that the system right now, there was a provision of that law, um, a technical issue with that law after, after another decision called McComish, which requires Arizona to go back and update their law. But it has been successful there, too. And at the presidential level, as I said, um, Ronald Reagan, um, President George Bush, President George Bush II, they all ran on it. And it was George W. Bush who signed McCain-Feingold, and it was Senator John McCain, um, the Republican standard bearer in 2008. This was one of his signature achievements, Mm. was, was a campaign finance law. So this is a very recent phenomenon that um, money in politics is seen by some as a partisan issue. McCain-Feingold was signed, again, by President George W. Bush, a bill that was bipartisan, that was John McCain's bill. This has a long history of Republican uh, support, and eventually I think people are going to pay attention to where voters are, and certainly it's a big part of the presidential race right now. And um, I think if people just start... If, if politicians really start paying attention, they'll know that it's in their self-interest to, to back strong 
campaign finance and money and politics laws that raise up the voices of average ordinary Americans too. And 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 it has eighty five percent support That's according right. to the CBS you know, right. poll. Um, just as we wrap up, and it, maybe that's the answer, is I need to go push a local ballot initiative um, uh, for some type of finance reform. What what does the average citizen do? What should I do? What should our listeners do to to do our part to push this concept just as a voter? Well, first of all, um, folks can find out more about the Fighting Big Money agenda at our website at commoncause.org. And you can you can look those you can you can sign up for our alerts, which we send out all the time, asking people to contact their member of Congress or their state uh, senator or state house rep and ask them to co-sponsor these bills. But you know, really, really, this is this is about a grassroots movement. So it's it's writing letters to the editor about the problem of money in politics. It's bird dogging members. Um, you know, people that are in elected office sometimes they love seeing their name in the paper, and sometimes they don't like seeing <laughs> right. their name in the paper. But they pay attention. So really, it's being a citizen lobbyist and, and finding finding those uh, elected officials in your hometown and asking them what they're doing and actually presenting them with solutions and saying, you know, here's a here is you know a place where this is working. We want you to work on it. But it really it's really about holding um, power accountable. Um, arming yourself with the solutions and then talking to them about how important it is, but also talking to your friends and neighbors and building building a real movement to to get this over the top, as we've done many times before. Oh, love it. I mean, really, and, and be active, be involved, know what your candidates will know their position on this and the actions they are taking. Stephen Spaulding, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate that. Great insight for all of us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. Commoncause.org, that's the organization. Go check out their website and, and read uh, read more about what they're trying to do with fighting big money, empowering people. Folks, it's ours. It's This is our country. This is our voice that needs to be heard. And uh, I'm not sure that pushing a lot of money into anything has ever really made it better, let alone our democracy, right? Stick with us. We'll take a break. Come back, uh, helping you lead a healthier life and hopefully a happier democracy, a healthier democracy as well. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, money, uh, it's the root. Well, I guess the love of money is the root of evil, right? It's uh, its even true in our Bad Boys segment today. Because at some point, if you don't have enough money, whether it's in government or just, you know, taking care of the cat, you're going to do something stupid. Authorities say a Pittsburgh woman jailed in four recent store robberies told police she needed the money for dog food and kitty litter. Police say 28-year-old Melissa Santoro netted less than $300 in the heist. Police say the clerk at a gas station robbed last month again and again last week was uh, recognized Santoro when she came in to buy cigarettes. Police say she denied robbing the station. She also denied robbing a Pittsburgh Rite Aid last month and a pizza restaurant a few days later. But police say after taking a lie detector test, Santoro confessed to all four robberies. She told them a gun she carried was plastic and she needed the money for dog food and kitty litter. And cigarettes. 
and pizza and a plastic gun. You got to pay for these things. Oh, it's hard, folks, when you don't have the money. And uh, if it's true, if this was for dog food and kitty litter, what about the dogs and cats out there? You know, they're all there's a ton of YouTubing cats and I bet they're not getting any money. All the money goes to their master. So uh, money matters, and uh, it might matter a lot more in our political system than any of us know. A half a billion dollars spent in our political system. I, I misspoke. I thought it was a half a trillion dollars. A half a billion dollars spent in our political party all unaccounted for. Nobody knows where that half a billion went. We don't know. Wouldn't it just be common sense to know where it went? Is it that big of a deal to just track it? And why aren't – why isn't this already happening? Maybe we're not making enough noise about it, folks. So let's, let's pick up our game, start making some noise. Let's go get educated on it. Let's take our country back so we don't have to, you know, lose our democracy and then see all the chaos that we're seeing. We'll take a break. We'll come back next hour. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Today I will be your automobile uh, new purchase expert. Actually, today I won't be. I'm just going to training today. Training? Later today, I'm going to be sitting down and negotiating a new car. Oh, that's fun. So I, I kind of I feel like it's the combine. A little bit. I'm hoping they choose me. I, te- I, I hope I, I don't get hurt. I tend to go in with, this is my price. If you can't meet me, yeah, then I'm going to walk out the door. And they get really concerned when you stand up. See, we have completely different philosophies. I go in there kind of like, how bad am I going to get reamed? Well. And you go in there like, this is what how I'm going to take advantage of you. You go in with a price. You know your number. Yeah. If they don't want it, you'll walk away. And if you want to set the number a little lower than oh, what yeah. the car is. Yeah. They can say no. Yeah. Then you're like, okay. And you walk out the door and then you get to see how much they really want to hold on to that number if you start standing up and walking away. What happens if your kids are behind you saying, Daddy, buy it, buy it, Daddy, buy it? Just grab your kid, tell them to be quiet, and walk out the <laughs> Shut door. Shut up, I'm negotiating. <laughs> Shut up. Don't bring your kids, just you go. <laughs> My so wife sad. was, like I sat there with one guy one time we were negotiating a car, and uh, we went we went round and round, and I wanted the car for like $200 a month because it was oh, what sure. we were paying for the other car. Yeah. I just wanted it to fit in our budget, not have to adjust anything. I didn't want to have to stop buying something because we had to pay more for a car. Right. We were on kind of yeah. a tighter budget. And so we walk in, and I went through a couple guys, and then all of a sudden the manager comes over. Uh-oh. And the manager came over, and he was like limping. <laughs> he goes, oh, I ran a marathon this morning and twisted my ankle, but it's okay. I'll come over and talk to you. You ran a marathon and you're working? 
And then You're like, breathing? Well, first of all, I was like, physically, sir, you did not run a marathon. There's <laughs> no way humanly possible that happened. Yeah. But he was trying to be like, you know, yeah. I'm injured, but I'm going to come over and talk to you anyways. And I'm like, you're doing your job. Who cares? Feel bad for me. But they had me sign a piece of paper that said that I would, if the deal is to my uh, specifications, if I, if, I, if I like the deal, then I will take the deal. And I went, oh, yeah, sure. So I signed it. And so I went to leave. And they go, but you signed this paper. And I said, yeah, if I like the deal. I don't like I, the I deal. I don't like this deal. And they went, oh, you figured out our ruse. You ah, know? you figured us out. <laughs> that wasn't even like legally binding. What do you want, guys? <laughs> I can just say I don't like it. And so I got them to knock the price down three times before we were done. I And they go, well, when you say around 200, what do you mean? And I go, 200. And they went, oh. Oh, <laughs> So yeah. they dropped it to 195 and I left. Right. Isn't it a crazy thing? It's None of us probably love shopping for cars. No. But it seems like it should be easier. You'd think, but somehow everyone needs to make money. And yeah. one guy was telling me, we've got to keep the lights on. And I'm like, well, great. Keep lights on at this price. Well, then you got your regional fees and your destination fees. Don't forget the undercoating. <laughs> Did you want your motor to start? It's or crazy. There's some. Uh, uh, if you're if you're uh, open to like a used car, yeah, I totally am. It's a year old, t- two years old car. Yeah. This it's still usually those end up being like a fleet return uh-huh. or a. Uh, my last one was one of those, like a rental car. My car that I have now was a, a former rental car. Yeah, and they keep them up and that kind of thing. Well, you go in and usually those uh, when you go get a car like that, it's a set price. Mm-hmm. The place I would go to, uh, they, you go in and they tell you, here's the Here price. It is. There's Take no it or leave no it. negotiation. Yeah, and you just go in. Do you like it? Great. Walk out the door. You're done in like ten minutes. No, I, that I've been to that place. No and hassle. I, I really like that because you kind of know what you're getting. The, the problem is this is a new model, yes. new look, and if you want to get the new vehicle, then and you it's, have to go in. And, and the in-laws like it, so it makes my wife happy. And I car dealership like you're you're saying you walk into a car dealership you instantly think you're going to get robbed you know what today <laughs> it's still and this is why i'm glad it's also um you know we always talk about our special days yes today is for pete's sake day for pete's sake for pete's sake for crying out loud this is and i'm going to be using that a lot it's today. To, what to celebrate the 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 phrases you use instead of swearing yeah, right <laughs> so instead of swearing and nobody does this better than mormons oh yes Flip, mm-hmm. fetch. fetch. So take a hike. <laughs> You'll hear them all the time. All the like, euphemisms you need. Sugar. I guess some people yell sugar when they're mad. Hmm. I only use it when I'm like, hey, sugar, to my wife. I'll say Merry Christmas sometimes. Will you? Yeah. I don't why? know why. I just I kind of. Why would some, you ruin a holiday? Something will happen. I go, Merry Christmas. You know, <laughs> For Pete's sake. What was the deal with Pete? Poor Pete. Pete. What Who's, did he do? Who is Pete? How did he go down that path? Well, everybody's concerned about him. Oh, Like, heck. everybody loves heck. him. Hex one. They do love Pete. And for his sake. Yeah. I'm going to use these a lot today. I think they rise mostly with, in my, in my mind, you, you have a kid around you. You can't just say something. Right. You have to come up with some other thing and... That's kind of your go-to saying because someone's going to repeat what you said. And in my case, then mom hears it. Right. <laughs> where do you hear that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know where he gets that stuff. Isn't that funny? Like, I remember playing basketball in my backyard and my mom came out and she said, what did you say? Because I would play and talk to myself. 
You know, so I used you to trash talk yourself. Yeah, okay. I trash talk myself. I'd also, man, I was the worst trash talker, and it was amazing to myself. I mean, and it was bad because I'm also highly sensitive, so I'd, I'd actually get offended by myself. You would hurt your own, and feelings. then I, it would ruin my game. But my mom came out and said, "Did you? What did you just say?" And I'm like, "What?" And she thought I had been swearing. Mm. I don't know what she thought I said. And I'm like, "Oh, for Pete's sake, mom! What the heck? I wouldn't swear, fetch." Get off my back, sugar. These are all words I don't even use anymore, hardly. Um, again, it offended me. She thought I was bad. Uh, today we're going to be uh, speaking about the dirt cure. Is that yeah. where your kid falls and you say, rub some dirt on it? No, it's more of we can help our kids be healthy by feeding them food that's grown in dirt. What? I know, it's crazy. Well, then it would be dirty. You mean like food from a garden? Yes. Wow. Do they have that at McDonald's? No. Well, I don't know where I'd get it. Like, like you, you, you go to the, the grocery store and you can pay an extra two, three bucks and buy the organic option. Yeah. But even that one, it's questionable what pesticides and what, how, they, how they got to the point of having this organic vegetable. <laughs> and and she, uh, the, the author talks about how you can actually uh, cure, like, not not cure, but you can see that maybe your kid's allergic to something and you're feeding them just normal food, but you're never going to find it until you take that food away and give them something that maybe you grew in your backyard. Right. And then all of a sudden, it'll clear up. The, the celiac, celiac yeah. disease? disease. Some people don't even know what those symptoms are. They're eating food, and then, yeah. then when they start stop eating, they figure all that celiac type stuff will just go away because you're allergic to something. But you didn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. You don't and even it's just know. you're eating something because it's a natural thing to eat, yep. and when you remove that from your diet, all of a sudden you your your health improves. Wow! So it's that kind of thing. Okay, it Doc- comes down to allergies. It comes down to all kinds of things. So it's well, let's get we'll get to her in a minute. Doctor Maya Sheetreat Klein is her name, and she's going to be talking to us about healthier eating. If you believe it or not. Uh, Growing healthy kids with food straight from the ground. It's weird. Don't they just call that a whole food? No. What's That's more food? of a marketing campaign. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thought it was. Uh, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. Police responded to a reported shooting in Hessen, Kansas on Thursday at Excel Industries. They manufacture uh, lawnmowers. On, and they were four people were killed, including the gunman. Fourteen others injured. The suspect, who was an employee at the company, has been, was killed by the uh, responding uh, law enforcement. Three of the victims were in critical condition in the hospital. Walton said the sheriff of the uh, the county says the shootings, which took place in the towns of Newton and Hessen, appeared to be random, and terrorism was not suspected. And as I said, there the shooter was killed in the uh, the situation. The first um, officer that responded walked in. Shot the guy. Oh, wow. Took him out. But four others. That's crazy. As we talked about last hour, it looked like the guy got out of his vehicle and just started shooting. Just, you're moving, I'll take you, and then just kept moving on into the the plant. So it was kind of a crazy situation. Apple filed a motion Thursday asking the federal magistrate to uh, vacate the order that uh, it unlocked San Bernardino Bernardino shooter Syed Farouk's iPhone. The company said the FBI seeks dangerous power in requesting the investigation of the December 2nd attack that killed 14 people. FBI Director James Comey. I'm a huge fan of privacy. I love encryption. It's a great thing. But our need for public safety and our need for privacy are crashing into each other. 
And we got to sort that out as a people. What's your opinion of encryption, Matt? Do you love encryption? Uh, I, I don't think about it much. Director of the FBI loves, loves encryption. It. Well, he would. FBI <laughs> loves to, every morning gets up, I'm going to encrypt something. It's funny to watch him say that. You're like, <laughs> really? That's how you're going to go with this? Apple's motion reads, this is not a case about one isolated iPhone. Rather, this case is about the Department of Justice and the FBI seeking through the courts a dangerous power that Congress and the American people have withheld the ability to force companies like Apple to undermine the basic security and privacy interests of hundreds of millions of individuals around the globe. Google will join Microsoft supporting Apple with a legal filing against the FBI. Mm. Uh, This isn't just one phone. Uh, I read a report earlier this week. It's maybe like 10 devices, and now they're saying there might be 170-something devices. And now certain counties are saying, like L.A. County, I think, is saying, okay, no more use of Apple. We're not using... That's in Arizona. Oh, is that Arizona? Apple phone, no more. Maricopa County. (laughs) Oh, is it Maricopa County? Say no more. (laughs) Uh, Former Mexican President Vicente Fox says he won't stand for Trump's idea to build a wall between the U.S. and Mexico. Uh, with Mexico footing the bill, he goes, I'm not going to pay for that bleeping wall, he told uh, Fusion's George Ramos. He should pay for it. Fox also called on Hispanic Latinos in the U.S. to open your eyes. It's not to defend our race, not to defend our creed. It's to defend the very same nation that is hosting you. This nation is going to fall if it goes into the hands of this crazy guy. Isn't this interesting? Vicente Fox, ex-president of Mexico. Trump is now arguing publicly head-to-head. Super Tuesday. Yeah. On Tuesday, one of the biggest states in Super Tuesday, Texas, 222 delegates. Wow. Money. That's the one. Ted Cruz should win that one. Some reports. There's a poll out of Dallas saying it's uh, Cruz and Trump are tied at 32. Other polls show that Cruz has about a 10, 15 point lead. So it depends on which way you're looking. Texas Senator Ted Cruz thought the Lone Star State was his turf for the taking. But then Donald Trump has an irritating habit of proving his competitors very wrong. With Texans set to vote in Super Tuesday, Cruz risks appearing to, well, uh, Ivy League, according to some people. Uh, This is from the New York Times. It says, Cruz doesn't come across like Rick Perry does. Former Texas Land Commissioner Jerry Patterson told the New York Times, naming by example a folksier Texan, Rick Perry. (laughs) Rick Perry and Jerry Patterson went to Texas Agricultural and Mechanical, Texas A&M. Ted, he went to Harvard. Ted. Patterson added that Cruz was too clever by half. From a New York Times article, it goes on and says that uh, nationalism is a new thing, man, said Jordan Vore, a 30-year-old Trump supporter who wore a longhorn belt buckle the size of a miniature football, the article (laughs) says. It goes on, he says, I just kind of want to watch the establishment burn. Mr. Vore added, what's the point of being a conservative anymore? It's a failing ideology. And then the Dallas TV poll says it's tied. So the guy's like, I don't even, I just want to watch it all go to chaos, so let's vote for Trump. (laughs) <laughs> now that that's anecdotal it's one but one person but there's a theme it could be a theme there and uh, in china we've talked before about uh, they're having problems there's a billion people in the country they have 10 million people dying a year and everybody wants a burial plot they're running out of land yeah so then they go to well we'll start stacking and have mausoleums well now they're running out of space for those so now they're asking for people to cremate Mm-hmm. And the problem is in the culture, you want to go and visit your loved ones. They bring right. gifts. You got to go cash somewhere to see them. Yeah. So there has to be a place. And if you cremate and then spread the ashes, there's no place yeah. really to go. They're asking people to bury their loved ones standing up. That's what I want to do. Vertical. Yeah. But I want to be like in a speaker's pose, like where you're pointing. Okay. That'd be cool. 
another little nugget from this article I was reading. This isn't the first time in recent years that the communist government in Beijing has urged non-traditional burial practices to preserve land space. Last year, the government even hosted a cremation competition pitting 50 of the country's top cremators against one another in a challenge demonstrating their technical skills and diligence. That is so gross. Are you serious? And they're off. So it's like a... How do you uh, – a cremation competition somehow? Yeah, we were starting to lose, and then we just picked up and we just, just stoked we the fire some more. I don't know. It's like we, we pushed a lot of bodies through there. We feel really good about our team and our opportunities moving forward. <laughs> Thanks, Ricky Bobby. The, the post-game analysis. Yes, there you go. That was crazy. Do you know how hard it is to keep the momentum going like that? But we focus. We're not looking ahead too far. We're just going to look to the next contest. Oh, my living. What's happening to this world? We'll take a break, folks. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking to uh, my, Dr. Maya Sheetreat Klein about her book called The Dirt Cure. Maybe, folks, we need to get back to the farm, back to nature, back to healthier you know, foods that come from the ground. Even let our kids get dirty once in a while. The dirt cure may, uh, you know, may get rid of some of these issues, allergies, things that are taken over and are on the rise uh, in our health care system. Stick with us. Interesting topic coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. If you'll stick with us, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What if our best intended efforts to protect our children's health were found to be the primary cause of some of the chronic illnesses that are on the rise? That's exactly what medical evidence now shows. One in 13 children now suffers from food allergies. In the last eight years, the number of children diagnosed with ADHD has jumped nearly 50%, and one in 45 children now carry an autism diagnosis. Many parents have been told that their children have these conditions for life, and they're just simply untreatable, uh, except our next guest um, may have an inside track, uh, some ideas that might help us uh, in some of these areas, and at least, hopefully, improve our health, our our homes, and uh, maybe just the well-being of our families. Dr. Maya Sheetreat Klein joins us now uh, this morning to talk a little bit more about this topic uh, Dr. Uh, Sheetreet Klein, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. What a fun book. I mean, it's such an interesting idea. It seems like, you know, farmers forever have been out there getting dirty, in the dirt, breathing the fresh air, and eating healthy food. It, why wouldn't we go back to that style? Well, <clears throat> I think part of it is like we've really just moved away from a, a lifestyle that's outdoors. So... We've now become, you know, pretty screen addicted, I think, as a society, um, and we've become pretty interested in keeping things clean and sterile as much as possible and, um, and doing that for our kids. So we're missing out on a lot of the microbes and time outdoors and kind of the fresh, unprocessed food that used to be much more available. Now, and this is such an interesting, interesting thing, your background, you're a pediatric neurologist, and a mother of three, and a lot of your your uh, your uh, your 
feeling around this, your energy around this started with the a focus on your own children? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for many, for many doctors especially, we have these epiphanies because our children end up acting as our teachers yeah. and, um, or family members or ourselves sometimes. But um, for me, I really had a, an experience with my own son, my youngest, when he was about a year old, started to have breathing, breathing difficulties. It was, you know, sort of like asthma a lot, and it really went on and on and on and on. It didn't just happen occasionally, but mm. it was pretty much continuous, and he had weird rashes. He stopped gaining new speech, so he had been a really early talker. Wow. And then kind of plateaued, and, you know, as a, as a pediatric neurologist, yeah. obviously, and for any parent, I mean, it was terrifying, and, and nobody seemed particularly concerned. Our pediatrician, who was a very loving person and a, and a you know, old-time, really invested pediatrician, you know, gave him antibiotics and steroids and then inhalers, you know, and we were <laughs> kind of doing all these things, and it seemed like the medication was actually making him worse. Ooh. And uh, finally, I was like, this can't continue in this way, but nobody really seemed interested in coming up with the root cause. You know, it was just like, let's try to use this Band-Aid or that Band-Aid. And finally, I found an allergist who was willing to test him for food allergies, and it turned out he was allergic to soy. Oh, wow. I had been giving him soy milk when he was a year old. You know, actually, I was still breastfeeding him, but he was also getting soy milk when I was at work. And, uh, like as a healthier you know, option, probably. I thought it, well, he yeah. was a little. He got gassy with with milk, and well, I thought, who well, you know, this is healthy. Yeah. And it turned out that what he was getting every single day was actually making him incredibly sick. Not just affecting his gut, but also his lungs, and also his his development and his brain. Wow, and, and you're you're paying attention to that. Because there's a cause and effect to a lot of our foods and, and our lifestyle, but it's not always like an immediate cause and an immediate effect. It's not always like they go into, you know, some shock and drop and have and lose their ability to speak. It just might take years. Well, exactly. And, there, you know, we think of the only kind of reaction you can have to food or, you know, any kind of allergy has to be like anaphylaxis. Right, grab an EpiPen. You know, you're, you're keeling over, as you say, and, you know, your throat closes up, the hives. That's a very classic reaction. But from a, you know, from a neurological perspective and even from an allergist perspective, there's actually something called delayed hypersensitivity. And that hypersensitivity is something that can take um, hours or even days. In my son's case, when he had... Once we took him off of soy, his breathing symptoms completely went away hmm. and didn't come back unless he had an exposure. And it turned out soy is a hidden food in a lot of different processed foods and restaurant foods. So we, we really learned a lot. That was sort of the beginning of my education. But in his case, it would be about 48 hours. So 24 hours later, he'd start to have a runny nose. And 48 hours later, the breathing issues would begin. Isn't that amazing? And that's such a delay. You might think it had something to do with that day. Oh, well, we were around a dog today. Exactly. Exactly. And then we just but keep I mean, eating what I or try drinking to tell soy. People is that is that every every symptom has a reason. Things don't just happen for no reason. We don't we're not always able to be good enough detectives to discover the reason, but it's always happening because of something and you know, it's important to really kind of be 
thinking and be critical of, you know, what's going on um, when you have a child who's having, you know, illnesses, because sometimes you can really make connections and change the course of their illness. When you say the dirt cure, um, what does that have to do with, because uh, to me, that that philosophy of becoming your own, like, detective, that's a really great idea. But the dirt cure, too, I guess, is that there's we also might be overprotecting our kids by keeping them away from germs. Well, what I mean when I say the dirt cure is three things. I mean exposure to germs and microbes. I mean eating fresh, unprocessed food from healthy soil and getting children outdoors in nature. So for me, those are the three foundational ways that we can reverse the course of what's happening in children's health right now, and really all of our health, is related to our, our body's need for those three elements that are all related to dirt that we're really not getting. And would also, I think, really prevent a lot of the need for all the pharmaceuticals people are getting. Um, and and uh, even, it, you know, being out in nature actually even helps with mood and cognition. I see so many children who are anxious, who are depressed, who are um, have ADD or ADHD diagnoses, who have executive functioning issue. Being outdoors in nature, there's actually many studies that I talk about in The Dirt Cure, which show that all of those things can improve just by being outside so in nature. Talk about some of the, the, the chronic illnesses, um, like... I, we we know exercise produces certain chemicals that that are that can be can act like antidepressants and um, talk about how not being outdoors and not having the exposure to nature impacts us. Well, so you know we know that there's a lot related to screen time, right? And we know that that keeps us probably a lot more indoors and certainly kids more indoors, right? I mean, I don't know about you when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. My mom basically, like, I was 10 years old. She kicked me out of the house <laughs> right. in the morning, let's say, in the summer. I would hop on my bike, bike around to my friends. We'd go, you know, play tag or we'd go play by this creek near our house. I mean, kids are not doing that in the same way, particularly because so many of us live in urban areas. But, you know, even in suburban areas, it's much more... Kids are much more indoors, and the kinds of things it seems to do, I mean, for one thing, there's a really interesting body of scientific literature that shows that being outdoors and being exposed to natural light prevents near, developing nearsightedness. <laughs> really? So something from one to three hours a day is what they recommend to prevent nearsightedness. We used to think it was totally genetic. Yeah. But actually, and probably there's a component, of course, that is genetic, just like with every condition. But there's also another element. We need to be interacting with our terrain, with our environment, and that light, they found out completely by accident in these studies, is what actually helps prevent (laughs) this epidemic of nearsightedness. In Korea right now, almost 97% of young men are nearsighted. Are you kidding me? That is great. That and, and it's they're all probably on devices, right? Sitting in a house. Oh, and they're indoors. Yeah. So actually, they've created a public health program, an initiative, getting people outdoors to try, getting kids outdoors to prevent. You know, all those hours indoors they're spending also in school. Mm-hmm. They get them outside. Well, and I'm going to tell you, being nearsighted in a war, that's not going to help everybody. <laughs> That's a big problem when all of yeah. your young men are nearsighted. This is. Um, it's it's crazy. 
Like, it, but again, it it seems like the system. It's not just immediate cause always and immediate effect. We're always so into the immediate learning. Um, This process takes so much time that it's almost like we've been lulled to sleep. Well, absolutely. Things happen in this kind of very gradual, um, insidious way where suddenly we're, we're seeing so many health issues and they kind of creep up in you. And then, you know, I talk about this in the book. Like, I have so many patients who come and say, oh, my child's healthy, my child's normal. But it turns out, you know, they go to, they, they poop like once a week. And, yeah. you know, they have, they have seasonal allergies, so they're taking something for that. They have eczema, so they're on steroid cream. They, you know, there's like a long list of different medications that they're taking. And it's sort of like it entered in such an insidious way they don't think oh my child's on five different medications mm-hmm. but but here we learn that you know there's such a fascinating study as well about being outdoors how it impacts us so soil itself is filled with amazing microbes that we interact with when we're outdoors and so um one teaspoon of soil has as many microbes as all the people on earth what? and wow. it's unbelievable right yeah And one of those kinds of organisms, I mean, think of how many we still have yet to learn about. One of them, um, called Mycobacterium vacai, actually has been studied, and it's been shown that it boosts serotonin levels similar to um, SSRI antidepressants like Prozac or Zoloft. Oh, my heavens. So the kid eating the dirt is really probably self-medicating. Well, maybe <laughs> out in the garden levels, absolutely, because yeah. they're also adding microbes into their gut. Absolutely, you know. But yeah, and and actually, another study that looked at that same organism found that um, in animal studies that that mice were able to complete a maze in half the time and with less anxiety, a difficult maze, than the mice who didn't get exposed to that. So there's this thinking that it actually boosts cognition and and helps us feel more relaxed, which makes sense. Oh, totally. Well, and then if you're if you add on top of it that you're outdoors um, with the sun beaming down on you, giving you some vitamin D, you're getting fresh air, your body is moving. Mm-hmm. I mean, you add all of that, and you're not having the negative effects of being indoors with with that type of lighting and a screen in front of your face. Boom. Right, and there's more actually because there's very interesting data that shows that. When we are around trees, the more trees there are, the healthier we are. And when trees are actually cut down, more people die. That's population studies. Oh, my heavens. So we're very, very, we're in a very deep connection with the natural world, whether we, whether we know it or not, whether we want to be or not. And when we aren't honoring that connection and nurturing that connection, it actually leads to illness. We, we actually are sicker. Yeah, and, and, and then we just call this the new normal. We just think this is normal. This is who we are. We just have eczema. We have ADHD. We have, and I, and I better take some medicine for it. Well, and that's what's offered. You know, it's fascinating because, I mean, doctors, this is a whole body of scientific literature, and I referenced it throughout the book so that actually Anyone, whether it be an educator, whether it be a parent or a grandparent, whether it be a physician, anyone can look and see the sciences right there. And, and yet, we're not really taking steps to change, to change what we're doing. You know, I right. mean, wouldn't you think that knowing this information, we would, we would actually 
want to make the day different for, let's say, school. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, let's get outside a little bit more. Let's let's take our class outside to do an activity. Well, and even having, I think, you know, having a nature curriculum mm-hmm. um, is something I really strongly believe in. I mean, take kids out into the woods. In Japan, there's something called forest bathing. It's, a, it's, a, it's called shinrin-yoku, and it actually uh, means immersing yourself in the forest, and it's used as preventive medicine there, where they've actually studied and found that being in the forest makes people more focused, they actually perform better in the classroom or in work, and they're happier, they sleep better, and they actually have higher levels of anti-cancer proteins in their bodies. So it actually completely transforms their immune system just by walking in the forest. Holy cow. You we, know? Yeah. We got, oh, this is good. Maya, we got to take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Maya Sheetreet-Klein. She's the author of the book, uh, The Dirt Cure, and Growing Healthy Kids with Food Straight from Soil. She's a a pediatric neurologist, for heaven's sakes, and she's teaching us we got to get back to Mother Nature, man. Forget a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Maybe just a spoonful of dirt and you won't even need the medicine. How about that? We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back, continue this discussion about your health and uh, nature. Isn't it amazing? God provided the answer. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the law of the harvest, you reap what you sow. Maybe there's more to it than just a, some philosophy or great wisdom. Maybe uh, the law of the harvest is also you need to get out. You need to get outdoors and uh, participate in a harvest of some sort. Eat fresher foods and uh, use use really what, what God gave us to be able to live healthier Happier lives, the soil, the the earth, nature. Expose yourself. Uh, our guest says we need to we need to get back to the dirt cure. Expose ourselves to germs. Uh, get you know, eat fresh food, and get out and closer to nature. There's there's a lot of uh, incredible research talking about the benefits of all of that and how it may be able to. Uh, be the antidote, maybe, or just the the necessary, you know, input to create a healthier life. Dr. Maya Sheetreet Klein is joining us. She's the author of The Dirt Cure, Growing Healthy Kids with Food Straight from the Soil. She's a pediatric uh, neurologist and mother of three. And uh, she has been basically on a, I guess, on a mission, trying to do what she can to improve the health of all of us, and have us look at our health, I think, in a, in a more holistic way. Dr. Maya Sheetreet-Klein, welcome back to the show. Thank you. What do you think? I mean, is is it possible that if, that if we just, you know, move away a little bit from the technology, it's so interesting to me that many times technology and nature, uh, they, they kind of seem, they seem like antithetical. They seem, you don't want your phone near the dirt, near the water. You know, you, you, so we almost need to walk away, or you can bring it, I guess, take pictures, and 
But in the end, you're just saying get back and allow nature to do what nature does. Well, I think there's nothing, there's nothing that can replace just walking in the woods or walking next to the beach with nothing and just taking in what's there, listening to the sounds and, you know, just letting it really is, you know, it regulates your nervous system, but it's also very spiritual. I mean, I think yeah. it's working on us in a physical and emotional and a spiritual way all the time. Um, but I also think it's possible to bring technology and use it to connect yourself to the natural world. So some examples of how my family does that is, for one thing, pictures, right? I mean, that's, I think, using a phone, using a camera, but going and finding things that are beautiful um, or things that really, you know, make us feel, uh, you know, turned on for some reason or another. So that's one way. Another way is actually um, using, there are some great apps. So one of them is actually called Merlin, and it's uh, an ornithology program. It actually helps identify birds. Hmm. So if you hear a bird or spot a bird and you want to know what bird that is, <clears throat> you can actually go into this um, this app and it'll say how big is the bird, you know, what time of year is it, what does it look like, and then you can actually hear the the, the bird's song and it will tell you, you know, the top three birds it could be, which is... Yeah. Fun, you know. Well, I mean, imagine having that exciting. as a kid when you were a kid going out on your journeys near the river, the stuff mm-hmm. you could look up and find. Right, exactly. And then there's another thing that my kids really love um, to do with my husband, which is um, geocaching. Yeah, we do that a and, lot out here. You know, it's like a big digital universal. Explain it. Explain hunt. it. Because <laughs> there's some people don't do this. Uh, we have a lot of children and da- and families that go out geocaching. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, you may be able to say more than I do, but really it's just like finding, you know, if we're walking along somewhere and we checking for different, um, different little areas of treasure and right. then, you know, oh my gosh, it must be over here. They go, they find it, it's hidden in some little place in the woods or park or wherever, and um, there'll be a little trinket inside, and then you leave a note or a little trinket when you take the one that's there, and it's just kind of a little fun it's a little fun treasure hunt. I it mean, is. it's just a way of kind of connecting. You're connecting with nature. You're connecting with other people. And and it's kind of fun because it's technology at the same time. So it is a way to kind of create adventure outside and um, get kids excited about it. And, and again, it's fairly simple. If it, All you got to do is go look up geocaching um, online and you'll get a variety of sites and sources that can get you on an adventure in your area basically is do you see because it really is it's food and um, but it's it's kind of allowing yourself to to get out psychologically emotionally physically get active we talk about we need to get our kids more active and um, but as a, as a physician, you see kind of the immune the the immunology of this the the power that all of this can have on our immune systems. Do you think we're we've been too uptight about keeping our kids clean, so clean that they don't get any benefit from germs and bacteria? And I think we've really uh, we you know. Many, many years ago, <laughs> there was Louis Pasteur and the germ theory, 
which offered a lot, right? He yeah. said there are invisible to us microbes, um, germs that can kind of attack, enter our bodies, attack us, and potentially kill us. And that was good. It brought up hand washing as something very important, which actually has saved lots of lives, and the nice. idea of isolating or quarantining when someone's sick, and that's important. But on the other side of it, as we often do, we really swung the pendulum way in that direction, and we lost the idea that there could be more available to us or benefit to us, as there often is from anything from these same germs or microbes. And it turns out that, and I always say germs are microbes, but really germs are kind of like a pejorative term for, for microbes. And microbes mean bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, and all of those things now are kind of coming up in the science as being beneficial from, obviously we all have heard, or most of us have heard about probiotics, where we actually on purpose take bacteria in pills yeah. <laughs> and swallow them. I mean, if you would have talked to people about doing that 30 years ago, they would have, you know, thought you were an absolute lunatic. So that's one example. But even more than that, there are, um, there are scientific studies looking at giving parasite eggs to people with autoimmune diseases, and it's actually very helpful for things like allergies, asthma, autoimmune diseases, even neurologic illnesses that's being looked at. Hmm. Um, very interesting. Viruses, also a lot of benefit. Viruses, it turns out, take over for bacteria in our digestive tract um, when we are on antibiotics to help prevent any damage from happening. Isn't that it, Viruses end up protecting your body. When and in, and in antibiotics fact, are on board. Help you. Um, there's also some studies on, let's say, mumps. People who have had mumps in childhood have half the risk of developing ovarian cancer later in life. Hmm. And yet we, we yeah, we're so fearful of the initial threat, not seeing this, the systemic complexity that we might be benefiting from. Wow. It's looking at the whole picture. Yeah. Exactly. This, this is just about holistic, right? It's just seeing more of the whole picture and seeing and allowing nature to kind of do what nature should do. Well, I think that's really the big point is that the answers are available to us if we look at what's already here. We don't have to keep coming up necessarily with more and more kind of synthetic or technological things. It's not to say there can't be benefit there, but we are kind of a... Whatever we do ends up often being a poor imitation of what we could actually be benefiting from if we were actually connecting and honoring, you know, the natural resources that we actually have. Yeah, we make a pharmaceutical that may actually cause other problems even, well, and yet there's a natural way we can find another way to do it. Well, for example, we're hearing so much about antibiotic resistance but it turns out that the newest antibiotics are being developed from soil microbes, and there's not a problem of resistance when you use these so this soil microbe. This is probably something coming up the pike very soon. Mm. Similarly, essential oils are, are now being touted and being investigated, again, for antibiotic-resistant um, MRSA. You know, everyone's very nervous about this uh, MRSA. Yeah, right. And... There's actually benefits from essential oils because plants are very complex. Soil is very complex. Humans cannot approximate that level of complexity, but our bodies 
respond to it. In fact, a BYU researcher is using other viruses, 14 or so viruses that uh, are already on our bodies to actually combat MRSA. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when they all combine, they'll combat MRSA if, if we could just get out of the way. <laughs> it's oh, amazing. Exactly. exactly. It's just, it's a, I think it's a, it's a powerful idea. And I, maybe it's one of those things where you need a pediatric neurologist and a mother and somebody who loves nature to, to have this convergence to, to teach us the rest of this stuff. What else can we do? It's just a mom, a dad, you know, that, that are listening out there, a grandparent. Um, what, what's your final recommendation? We have a, about one minute left. What, where should we start? Get the book. Go to, the dirt, uh, go to dirtcure.com. Um, then what? Well, I think reading labels of food and making sure that, you know, you're eating as much unprocessed food as possible. And that I go into quite a bit in the book um, because we need to nourish kids so that their bodies have the tools. Children are great at healing themselves. All of us are, really. But we have to have the tools to do it. And that really comes almost entirely from the things that we talked about. And food is one of those things. So whole, fresh, unprocessed food, as unprocessed as possible. And, um, you know, also not being afraid if your kid gets a fever occasionally. It's actually important for the body. Don't interfere. As long as you see, you know, if it's a brand-new baby or the child looks incredibly toxic, you know, for sure you need to get them checked out right away. But beyond that, you know, you let the kid have their fever, you support them, you give them soup, you keep them comfortable and let their body actually have that experience because the immune system and the body's always learning and it's important. Yeah. And and, yeah. And be there. You can be there. It's not like neglect. Pay attention. I mean, that's what it is. We're all so neurotic. Like, yeah, but I don't want him to. But the suffering, it's just like everything else. Let him stress. Let let a little stress can help. Yes, exactly. A little stress on the system. Well, we appreciate your work, uh, Doctor Maya Sheetreat Klein, and the book The Dirt Cure. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Great job. Keep up the great work. Uh, go uh, look up dirtcure.com. Wonderful resource, and go look at the pictures on the site. That's what you can do with a camera in nature is actually get out in nature. Um, Don't just be thinking about how you can get the picture up on Facebook, but go notice what you're noticing and spend some time out there. Powerful stuff. We'll take a break, folks. Remember, helping you uh, live longer, one of the goals of the show, and apparently a little dirt every day will help. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Isn't it interesting when you just start uh, hearing the latest research um, about nature? I I find it so amazing that we have this incredible earth, and yet we we place all of our faith in a presidential leader, for example, or in a major manufacturer of a phone— or even in the medical profession. But instead, and then we all just overlook the earth. And a spoonful of dirt has healing uh, bacteria, microorganisms, 
that are like, you know, one of the better SSRIs, one of the better antidepressants in the dirt. And people that are in the dirt regularly, working in the dirt regularly, have benefits from that. We don't we I mean think of how many people have been diagnosed with ADHD. It's going up by leaps and bounds. Jumped nearly 50% diagnosis of ADHD. And yet we have more and more technology, more and more benefits, people are more having more money, there's less crime. One in 45 children now carry an autism diagnosis. One in 13 children now suffer from food allergies. Mother Nature, it's there. Listen to this, though. A guy's going to blow up this whole hour with one story. A London man with a plan. His goal was to hit all of London's 46 McDonald's locations in 24 hours and chronicle his journey for YouTube. He starts off with a bang, getting in a solid seven breakfasts, chowing down breakfast burritos, pancakes, McMuffins, anything else that his heart desired. At about a dozen visits, he admits to finally uh, feeling full and celebrates by going for a Happy Meal to honor his inner child. As the night gets on, he hops on a rentable bicycle, goes through the drive-thru on two wheels, much to the chagrin of the customer in the car behind him. Ben, quit eating. Quit eating, bud. Chew with your mouth closed. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. No big deal. But anyway, by the end of the day, it's spent $130 on his McMarathon, he's calling it. But he's smiling as he eats his 46th order. He says, I've learned all about parts of London I didn't know about, foods I didn't know about, and areas of my body that I didn't know I could feel pain. Interesting stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. This is the final hour of the show for the week. Then it's off to the dungeon, also known as the car dealership. Oh, it's like the dungeon. To be tortured financially. I don't know. Ask them for a nice frosty beverage. Something cold, something chilled. parched. I would like a steak. (laughs) Medium... Just walk in, sit down, order lunch. We're going to be here a while. I need a sandwich. And I need someone to massage my feet. Do you have someone that could massage my feet right now? The sad thing is they'd probably get somebody. Get a vanilla Coke? Oh. I have a, the, the guy I'm working with is fantastic. He's a wonderful man. It's just... You know this for a fact? Uh, I'm doing a background search right now. Okay. Or he just presents himself as such. Yeah. He's, he's a nice guy. It's just... Ah, uh, Cars. Hey, um, here's the deal. I don't know what I'd rather do. Go to a car dealer or mm. watch another Republican debate. They felt a lot like the same thing. It was crazy last night. Marco Rubio got his game on. A lot well, of people were cheering that on, like, finally. The sense of desperation mm-hmm. is there. Yeah. T- t- Rubio t- and Cruz. Yeah. 
Cruz, not so much. Rubio, quite a bit. <laughs> he was really punching up. He was totally punching up. In fact, let me give you a little, just a little taste of uh, the punching up. Um, well, what would be the best one to share? Because there's, there was, there was a fight. There this was a great comment by Ben Carson. The immigration policy was a good one. Because it's it's clips of Ted Cruz and Rubio going back and forth at Trump. Yeah, let's try so that. So it's on six there. This is the feel for last night's debate. When I was leading the fight against the Gang of Eight amnesty bill, where was Donald? He was firing Dennis Rodman on Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> Yay. Good job. Well, you're the only person on the stage that's ever been fined for hiring people to work on your projects illegally. Marco is exactly right that a federal court found Donald guilty of being part of a conspiracy to hire people illegally and entered a $1 million judgment wow. against him. If he builds the wall the way he built Trump Towers, he'll be using illegal immigrant labor to do it. Anyone who really cared <laughs> about illegal immigration wouldn't be hiring. I guess Donald didn't say anything. Well, he sat there just kind of looking off in the distance as these guys. It was their turn. And they were going after him. He responded back saying, not true, not true. And they're like, no, no, Liars. there was a, there was a court and there was a settlement and there was a million dollars. And <laughs> so hey, they, they, they attacked and he tried to fight back. And what they were hoping to do, and they had a couple times where they went after him on policy issues. But um, I don't know if they actually got him exposed at all to well, a point yeah. where it would matter. I don't think it will matter in the end because if you love Trump, you love Trump. If you loved Rubio, you thought he did a great job. Um, I, I, it's just who, the, the person you want, is. it's up to you. This is so blinded though. If this had taken place three months ago, it would have been a whole different game because – but they've inflated Trump, his, his – his, you know, this sense of, you know, uh, incapable of stopping this powerhouse media mogul man, it's grown. And I think this just might be too little too late, which is sad because it would have been fun to see getting into some real issues and actually finding what policies are really behind all of this. I think we're seeing that Cruz hasn't been able to establish himself as not being establishment. Right. He's trying to, I'm the outsider. I'm not part of the, the machine. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're a senator. And you've been there and you play the game. And What I think Trump has to rely on in the end is are these people from the establishment? Because in the end, he'll if he wins, he would have to go get all of these players to come in and bring their ideas yeah. and all of their depth to then make these departments work. Not really. He could just hire good managers. Exactly. He just hired like the guy that he probably buys steel from for his uh, his high rises. He could run Department of Defense or something. What was the name of the uh, the female that the manager that he fired that was such a devilish woman? They were all calling her, and she was she got a really bad reputation. Amorosa. Amorosa. Is that who that was? She, she's actually been going around as kind of a not as a spokesperson, but as Are a, you it's a kind of going out pro Trump doing interviews. Amorosa, Secretary of State, could be. This could be exciting. This could be exciting. Mm. Well, and that's where uh, that's where it comes back that Trump is kind of the embodiment of an angry party. Mm -hmm. There's a massive group in the Republican Party that's obviously because they've yeah. done the polling and they come back, we're angry. They're angry, and he's the embodiment of that. He is leading that group of people and saying what they want to hear, and that's why he's leading the way. And then the problem is what do you do when you get someone who's leading angry people in charge? 
Yeah. Then what do you do? Then, yeah, then, well. How do you mesh that as a Republican Party? How do you mesh that with your, the rest of the, the platform, the rest of the things you want to accomplish when you have this guy over here that, you know, he has to kind of represent the people that put him there? See, that's, I don't, I don't know. And I don't know that you, I don't know. I think the Republican Party needs to really figure what's going on because this isn't, they're in trouble. And you can kind of, I, I guess on some level, you can see kind of legitimately why they're angry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, and it's it wasn't even just President Obama's. I mean, this has been through Bush. Oh, yeah. Uh, the half of the Republican Party felt disenfranchised with some of the decisions being made and with Obama. So there's so, some soul searching, which is what we were saying after the Mitt Romney loss is that mm-hmm. this party needs to figure out what's going on. But there is a major divide in the party, and I don't know how they're going to figure it out, and I don't know what will happen if... The Donster. Does there need to be a split? Ooh, three parties. Should there be a, th- a third party? Well, you know, the Libertarian Party would actually say there is a party, a third well. party. <laughs> Should there be a fifth or sixth party? One, I don't know. one that could I don't, win a national election. I don't, I don't know that it could. <laughs> I don't know that it could. But you put Donald in there. I mean, it's gonna. It'll be interesting. It'll be great. I mean, it'll be great entertainment. Donald and Hillary Clinton. That would be fantastic. But. I don't know if it'd necessarily be better for our country. Uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on around the rest of the world we need to be paying attention to? There is today in Iran. They're going to the polls. They're voting for a, a oh, new boy. government. Based, I think what I was reading this morning that uh, what, their parliament, whatever that equivalency is, is all the seats are up for a, a re-election today, and uh, along the way that could lead to their their next president. All their forms of government are controlled by conservatives, and they're voting on the deal that uh, Secretary Kerry and the other, what, seven countries were able to make a deal with uh, Iran about their weapons. And so that's that's kind of what this is. It's a referendum on that deal. Do they want it or not by who they vote into office today? So that was something that could be uh, interesting. I know FIFA is voting for their new president today, so Sepp Blatter officially out today. They'll try to vote a new leader in a... And he As, thought he was treated so unfairly. He was. but And they're trying to find someone that's ethical. So okay. good luck with that. Yeah. Law enforcement officials found announced on Friday that the man suspected of killing four and injuring 14 others during the shooting spree in Kansas on Thursday was served with a protective order related to an allegedly abusive relationship about an hour before his rampage began. In the woman's petition order for the order, she said that she was concerned about 38-year-old Cedric Ford's mental state, calling him an alcoholic, violent, and depressed Mm. in the document according to the Wichita Eagle. It is my belief he is in a desperate need of medical and psychological help. Ford allegedly opened fire in Heston, Kansas, before attacking uh, XL Industries, the manufacturing plant where he worked. He was shot and killed by a lone police officer, Harvey County Sheriff T. Walton told the press. Wow. As that story continues, you find out more, and there was a trigger, which looks like it was a predictive order. Marco Rubio's campaign manager, Terry Sullivan, allegedly told donors in a New York meeting on Wednesday night that the Florida Center is preparing for a brokered convention as an option to defeat Donald Trump for the party's presidential nomination. One of the options he presented, including a pathway for Rubio to secure the nomination, was by winning several key primary states. The other showed neither Trump nor Rubio winning outright by the summer and thus headed into a heading into a convention without a definitive nominee, hmm. which would make it, you know, contested and yeah. watch for great TV at that point. 
Yeah, hang on. People are going nuts trying to figure out who's going to be the nominee, and they're wheeling and dealing in back rooms. And right. Key Republican senators on the Judiciary Committee emerged from a closed-door meeting in Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's office Tuesday to unite their determination. They had other meetings and came out again yesterday, again doubling down, saying we are not going to hear any nominee that President Obama puts up for the Supreme Court. Yeah. So uh, the Senate will uh, McConnell says the Senate will appropriately revisit the matter after the American people finish making in November the decision they have already started making today, hmm. which is oddly worded, oddly constructed. He's sentence. got uh, he's got one more year. So that whole situation, the Nevada governor who possibly was a nominee, was someone that the Obama administration was looking at, he decided to take his name out of the Yeah, he, he doesn't want anything to do with the scapegoat. Surgeons at the Cleveland Clinic have performed the first uterus transplant in the U.S., giving a woman, a woman without a womb a better chance of getting pregnant. The hospital said a 26-year-old woman underwent the nine-hour surgery, received a uterus from a deceased donor. The Cleveland Clinic announced last year it would it would attempt 10 such transplants in a clinical trial. The U.S. is not the first country to perform womb transplants. Sweden was the first country to report a successful post-transplant birth in 2014. Uh, or we could call it like my Aunt Pat does, uterus. Uterus? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not. amazing. Uh, We're transplanting yeah. a, a uterus. Yeah. This is huge. All kinds of things, and, and they're able to... Give women a, an option they thought they didn't how, have. Before, how many so. women have been praying for that? A man in, a, in an armed robbery at an Ohio convenience store Wednesday night told the clerk, I'm just messing with you, after the clerk told him to get out of the store. The man armed with a knife was wearing a black mask over his face when he walked up to the clerk. The clerk can be heard asking the robber several times if he is kidding. And the robber responds, no. A moment later, the robber starts laughing, pulls off his mask, and says, just messing with you. The clerk yells at the robber to get out. He apologizes and leaves. The police are currently looking for the guy that they can... I was just kidding. He's on surveillance video. Jimmy, is that you behind the mask? (laughs) Ah, Just kidding. And he walks out the door. He could have been shot. Yes. I mean, if they had a gun. Right. And some do. And did he get away with anything? Uh, Apparently not. He just walked in. And stood there for a few awkward moments and then lifted his mask and walked away. That jokester. <laughs> ha ha. That, that is hilarious. Oh, I played the biggest trick on Jimmy down the street. What'd you do? Armed robbery. Good job. We're so proud of you. Can you believe what's happening to our world? Well, it's not all bad, folks. It's not all bad. It's It's the weekend. So... Time to probably grab a movie, get the family gathered together. We're going to be talking with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. We'll be previewing some uh, new movies that are going to be released. Uh, Eddie the Eagle, Gods of Egypt. We'll get to those and give you some insight on on, uh, what you need to see, what what you might want to watch out for when you have your family watching these movies. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's Friday, which means it's movie day. We're going to go to Rod Gustafson, our uh, great guide on uh, movies. Parentpreviews.com is his website. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And just go to the website. You can look up any of the past movies, and 
they'll they'll basically give you a description if it's safe and even things you can talk about with your kids to to enhance the movie going experience. Rod, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Hey, by the way, last time you were in studio, so you finally made it back home. Everything good? Home? Oh yes, we had a lovely ride home. It was the ride from Los Angeles to you. I, who'd, who'd think you'd get a blizzard north of Las Vegas? I thought the blizzard would happen in That's Montana. True. Montana was great. We've got no snow up here, Matt. <laughs> uh, the blizzard's upside down this it's year. It's balmy in Canada. Um, it's, two movies you've, you're going to talk about today. Eddie the Eagles, the first one. This is the story about the downhill jump. What do they call them? Long skier jumper. Ski jumping. Yeah, ski jumping. Yeah, exactly. Well, Eddie the Eagle is a, a kind of a fascinating movie. And I say kind of because it comes across a little bit quirky, but maybe that's not a bad thing. Now, this is based on a true story. Eddie the Eagle really was a true guy. I remember. Mike, yeah, Michael Eddie Edwards. And he competed right here. Well, maybe not right where I'm sitting, but in the city of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is where I'm beaming my broadcast from right now, in the 1988 Olympics. And what's cool about Eddie is he is British, and he, ever since he was a little child, he was determined that he wanted to be an Olympic athlete, no matter what. Even though his legs were even in braces because he had slightly, you know, deformed knees Hmm. and that type of thing, but he grew out of the braces and was able to start trying all these different sports. Nothing worked out for him, as we see in the beginning of this movie, to quite humorous effect. And then he finally discovers skiing and he's pretty good at skiing but he still isn't good enough to qualify for the british olympic ski team then he discovers that the brits once decades earlier had a ski jumping team that they have not had now for years and years so he figures i will become a ski jumper i'll be the only one so i will qualify and i'll be able to get to go well it turns out it's not quite that easy but very very close he manages though to get on the british olympic team by just barely jumping far enough that he could reach the minimum requirements and he gets to go to calgary and compete in the olympics now Along the way, he meets another guy who's played by Hugh Jackman, who actually is a former ski jumper. And this character, by the way, as far as I can tell, is completely fictitious. But he is the guy that takes care of the ski jumping hill where Eddie is practicing at in Germany. And he very reluctantly says that, okay, I'll help you out, Eddie. You've got more spirit than anybody I've ever met. I'll I'll see if I can teach you a few things about ski jumping. Hmm. So you loved it. Well, I loved it. Uh, I Yeah, I liked it a lot. Let's put it that okay. way. Uh, the Hugh Jackman character is a little unfortunate. This guy is really, uh, even though he never says it, and, and it's not really brought up all that much in the story, but he really is an alcoholic, and he's had some things that have happened in his life. And uh, so he is just, he's drinking constantly in this movie. That may be a message that parents will be a little concerned about. Smoking as well. It is a period film. Takes place, of course, in the 1980s. Um, and there is also a couple of moments of sexual innuendo and discussion that really didn't need to be in there. Does nothing to propel the plot line, as is usually the case with that kind of content. So those are things that just tarnish Eddie the Eagle just a little bit that prevented us from putting it in an A category. Okay. And, I mean, again, it seems like it might be able to, you know, create some pretty interesting dialogue with the family. You know, I think it will because Eddie really is 
a great example of determination. Now, they changed the rules since Eddie pulled this trick off because, you know, overall, and this is alluded to in the movie, uh, the Olympic Committee was not very happy. I mean, the Olympics are supposed to be for polished athletes and Eddie figured out a loophole and a way to get in there. And I might tell you, Matt, I have a, if, if we've got 30 seconds, I've got yeah. a personal story. I could tell you yeah, about do. in my life. I, I relate to Eddie. I, I, when I went to school, I went to school in the middle of the Canadian prairies, little country school, all the kids around me were super athletic. I was a city kid. My dad had gotten a job with a gas company, and so I didn't understand this farming and ranching thing. And we used to have this annual track meet at our school, and I could never win anything. Well, one day, I was, I was the mail delivery boy, and I put the mail down on the principal's desk, and I noticed nobody had signed up for the standing broad jump. So I signed up, and I won first place because I was only, only wow. contestant. So Eddie <laughs> the Eagle really resonates with me. But I think what the great message about Eddie the Eagle isn't even so much that he found the loophole, is that he is just so determined to want to get to his goal. And even though he didn't, he came in last in, in both the jumping events that he participated in, but he did it. And uh, he was a great hit with the crowd here in Calgary. And, uh, and I think he set a very good example of doing your best. That's great. I mean, again, it's a feel good kind of movie. Um, and, 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 you know, something I think I'd want to take my kids to that love sports. Uh, talk about the next movie, Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt, what? <laughs> I came out of this screening. My one question for the rep, we, we usually have a rep from the studios there who, who's there, and she says, how did you like it? And I said, I want to know how you get $140 million to make a movie like this. <laughs> this is a very expensive movie, and it is just dripping in special effects and digital effects, and this is what we call a swords and sandals Epic. It's one of those, you know, kind of dramas that take place in this case in uh, in ancient Egypt, and uh, just an amazing film to look at. The storyline, though, just kind of is all over the place, and it's it's one of those films where you it's almost like it's made for twelve year olds, but it's so expensive. You're wondering, <laughs> like, am I missing something here? Anyhow, it's a story about two gods who are vying for control of the earth, which in the context of this movie is ancient Egypt, and they're both warring one with another. And in this world, the gods look like humans, but they stand a lot taller. So there's this strange special effect going on throughout this movie where the people who are playing the gods are taller than the people who are playing the mortals. But the problem is, is the height changes from scene to scene. It's kind of like one of those cheap matinees that you would have gone to see in the 1960s or 50s, only this one cost $140 million to wow. make. So so it, it's just an incredible spectacle. Now, parents, uh, there is violence in this movie. There's lots of, you know, fighting back and forth. And we see a lot of people getting stabbed. But for the most part, they're the gods that are getting killed. And the gods bleed gold, which is kind of interesting. So the blood effects in this are, are, are different yeah. <laughs> because yeah. gold comes out of their veins. And uh, there is a lot of let's say, well-endowed females in this film, which oh. seems to be another part of the genre. Right. But they really take great advantage of in this movie, so you're going to see a lot of that as well. And, uh, you know, so those are really the, the main issues that we have 
with with this film and i'm almost i'm shrugging my shoulders as i talk to you because you know it's i'm still working we just had the screening last night so i'm still working on the review but it's going to wind up in the b's probably a b and uh there's nothing really bad about it but you could wait for it on video quite nicely and enjoy it just as much as going to go see it in the theaters interesting man it's um i don't know how you do your job rod because every day another movie and you got to I don't know. You got it. It would almost ruin the movie to have to think about it as much as you do. <laughs> well, you know, in a movie like God's in Egypt, that is, that is part of the problem. Yeah. If you just get your popcorn and sit back in your seat, is actually a fun spectacle to watch. But yeah, when you have to start digging into it and fill even five minutes of airtime explaining the nuances of this film, there are no nuances. <laughs> it's just a, it's a spectacle. <laughs> it's and without yeah, nuance. That's great. These are the ones I find the most difficult to review some days oh, now. I bet. I bet. Well, Rod, we appreciate you and the work you all are doing there at Parent previews.com. Everybody go check it out. Great website, great resource for your families when it comes to um, better understanding what is going on in the movie and uh, and how to maximize your family's benefit and, I think, uh, well-being. Rod, thanks so much. You are welcome. We're going to take a break, folks. Come back. When we come back, we'll be talking with our producers doing a Meet the Producers segment. Uh, it's going to be a doozy, folks. Uh, looks like uh, Kaylee and Liz will be joining us two of our uh, our great producers that are behind the Matt Townsend show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Honored, honored beyond all honors to have two of our great producers in studio with me. Uh, I'm just honored. I'm excited that they're here. A, that they're uh, available to leave the uh, institution where they were placed for a while and uh, come in and joining us. Joining us are Liz Miller and Karen Danes. Uh, Good to have you guys. Thanks Thank for being you. here in the Meet the Producers segment. Thanks for letting us out. Thanks <laughs> thanks for, you know, having the plea in abeyance. We appreciate you <laughs> expediting the process. Um, what we would like to do, and we always do in this segment, is we want everybody to hear and get to know the great people behind the show. Uh, Karen Danes usually uh, is in charge of the 7 a.m. hour of the show. She gets our guests uh, under the supervision of Terry, under the very close supervision of Terry. <laughs> she works on shoring up those time. guests. <laughs> and then uh, Liz Miller's usually the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, the neat thing about Liz, Liz is able to – she's actually booked us through 2018. I have. So I'll leave eventually, and I just yeah. want my presence to echo it, No, it will echo. That's for sure. But we today, I wanted you guys – we always like you to come in and just talk to me about your problems you're going through. You, some of you are about to graduate. Liz will be graduating soon. Yep. Uh, Karen, she's – you've been here two years, so you probably got what, three more – four more years. About five. Five more years. Yeah. Karen is uh, – they're both studying – one studying communication and Liz is studying film. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. Spot on. You're, you're broadcast journalism, right, Print. Karen? Print journalism. Yeah. So what's the problem, though? What, what do you need help with? How can the coach help? 
All right. Well, we were kind of looking at the days ahead of us here and, yeah. and noticing that um, there's a trend that's surfacing where often um, college graduates end up working in fields that have no correlation whatsoever to their majors. Right. Um, about, I think it's only about 27% of graduates end up working in, in a field related to their major. Do you know what my major was in college? Uh, psychology? No. Um, meteorology? Nope, nope, nope. Math? Nope. Botany. <laughs> Botany. Excellent. And now I'm at, I've got the show. I love and... The Martian. There we go. Yeah, that was a great movie. It was a good comedy. Um, anyway, so you're right. So, you what are you, are you guys worried that you're not going to be able to have a career? Um, we're more wondering what we're doing with our lives. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point in college <laughs> learning this if we're not even going to use it? Oh, Karen, don't be negative. <laughs> That's why I'm 24 and haven't graduated. <laughs> <laughs> and the show, we slow you down. That too. We yeah. slow you down a bit. So what are you thinking of doing? Let me help you. Let me coach you. Go for it, man. Okay, well, we have a big plan that when the day comes that we aren't using these degrees – because we're very codependent on each other. Yeah. We, for about a year, we've yeah. been planning to open our own hot chocolate bar named Drizzles. The okay. name is new. Uh, a yeah, hot chocolate bar yeah. where, where one awesome. might, you know, go buy some hot chocolate. Yeah, it's a fabulous idea. It is, actually. So we ended up talking about this. It, it was originally going to be a cat and hot chocolate bar because of Kaylee's love for cats yes. and my love for chocolate. Yeah. Who's Kaylee? Um, sorry, Karen. Karen. Okay. Um, Karen's love for cats. But so I, I served a LDS mission yeah. in Germany and over there they had this fantastic hot chocolate cafe that had just these like chunks of chocolate mm. on wooden spoons oh. and you would just get like a steaming hot cup of milk and just stir it in there and you had your hot chocolate. Thus drizzles. Thus drizzles. Yes. And I think it would just explode because it came in this little, little yeah. tiny cute package and you could just take okay. it with you and it so was that's darling. Our plan. What happened to the cat? Why, why did you get rid of the cat idea? Because cats and <laughs> chocolate seem to go hand in paw. We did a couple test runs with some friends, and uh-huh. for whatever reason, they complained of hair Yeah, yeah, that's a great, drink, no, great point. Which I we feel like you could was, get used to. Yeah, like it was texture, in our opinion. It added right. to the experience. It, it heightened the experience. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let me get this straight. So you, you're getting degrees in film and uh, print journalism. But you're you're basically planning to open a hot chocolate bar that um, will called... eventually be shut down. <laughs> Apparently, um, by, by the, the health department. department. Not, not anymore, though, because we've taken out the animals. And we then, will have them like as decorations, though, and Liz, in our apartment together. But clearly. Liz is big. You didn't just want a cat. You also wanted to bring in a pig. I did. I've heard recently of how of of the benefits of having piglets and oh, pigs. Sure. I mean, Winnie the Pooh. But from there, it goes on to. Bigger and better things. Well, so I'm, I want to be a big lady. Are you guys open to a suggestion? Um, as, mm. because if you've got if you've got a hot chocolate bar, uh-huh. you might as well, uh, you know, throw out some idea like I don't know some like a breakfast thing where you could maybe have bacon and um, <laughs> and sausage links. Um, you can call it drizzle and links. <laughs> I, as if we like named each menu item as this was Charles Bacon. This oh, is yeah. Bacon. No, that'd be terrible. Okay, so that ruins the pig thing. But Maybe a little. Um, let me just ask you: It seems like hot chocolate may not be a big seller in the in the middle of summer. Frozen hot chocolate, so mm-hmm. it'll be more like a, like ice cream. Yeah, 
Well, you can also have frosted mugs of hot chocolate. They oh. do that with root beer, right? We could do that. Yeah. Well, but I think so. It's like an icy yeah. hot pad for No, your but you mouth. can make like a frozen hot chocolate. There you go. Like, um, I've me, had them before. Ladies, let me ask you this. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they've thought of ideas like this. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, I mean, people have thought of like, hey, let's open a restaurant uh, where there's a star and we charge like a buck. And we just sell hot beverages. With stars on them? And we could call it Starbucks. <laughs> Look at that. And it just seems like um, they're doing okay what with could it. We, do? we could do like chocolate on a stick for three ninety five, Like just hyphens. But but it seems like, and again, this isn't Shark Tank. Which is my favorite TV show. Mine too. And um, But let me just give you some feedback. It just seems like the, the idea that you just gave us, Liz, that came from Germany. Mm-hmm could fairly easily now just be taken by Starbucks and just incorporated into their system and you guys would then just well, be left pending okay. on the spoon. Yeah. Well they would just invent oh, yeah. their own. But it seems like you would just be left that. holding a piglet. It would be cute though. But with that I think we're okay with that life. Me with my cats, her with their pigs, we're sharing an apartment forever. I don't, I don't want to be a cold blanket on this idea because I, I want you to succeed. But can I just suggest just get a job. Just get a job in your field. Like, uh, go. I'm, I can make trailers about our piglets, and uh, Kaylee can write reports on them. We can yeah. come on air, talk about it. We'll just it. keep okay. coming here. Let me ask you this. Reporting. Maybe, um, where do your parents live? Nearby. Okay, so could, maybe. Dallas, you, Texas. Okay, maybe you could just live with your parents for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, while you sort this out. Uh, <laughs> what, are, what, are the other, what are the other people your age doing? When they can't get a job and they're just floating, they it seems like they would probably just go work at Kinko's or something. I feel like most of them are already like self-made millionaires in Silicon Valley, actually. Other people our age. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you guys thought of just, I don't know, marrying one of them? <laughs> and then you can do whatever you want. Can you give our number out again? Yeah. yeah. Their number, one eight five five chat byu <laughs> yeah. If you want to take Liz out or Karen, <laughs> a.k.a. Kaylee Danes. Um, so, okay. Well, I... Uh, I wish you the best on that. I don't. I, I worry. I just worry that you're going to need maybe a little bit more than just hot chocolate. A celebrity endorsement would really help. Okay. So did if you, you know anyone? Yeah. Do you want me to find one? <laughs> do you want to invest? If there are in any this. celebrities <laughs> that want to invest in two, you know, incredible producers. Yeah, basically. And their cat and their piglet. Oh, but it's going to be so cute. We could have the cat like on top of the piglet, just like, you know, sitting there on the seat or in chairs next to each other. In chairs. Oh, boy. I'm going to miss you guys. Our future is bright. (laughs) So great. So, uh, well, don't be discouraged. And don't be, you know, don't be sad. Your future's bright. Looking happy. I really, seriously. Once, once the probation is done (laughs) and those bracelets are removed. You guys have got a future. <laughs> there you go. In one field that may be our own and may not be. That's right. And and if anybody wants investment information on drizzles and links, <laughs> just uh, send it in to Kaylee.Danes at BYU.edu yep. or li- Elizabeth.Miller. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That is right. At BYU.edu. And if you're just looking for a wonderful date with two incredibly <laughs> capable people. 
There you go. Or if you have piglets that you'd like to. Or if you have free piglets you'd like to give away. (laughs) Or a cat. Or a cat. Feel free to do that. Uh, Interesting. Great. Thanks, guys. This is this was very good learning. I hope I hope I helped in any way I could. Um, (laughs) Always. always. I still feel hopeful. Yeah, I I would too. We'll talk after. Let's talk after. Um, We'll take a break, folks, and uh, that that concludes the uh, meet the producers segment. Um, It might even conclude the future of the producers. (laughs) They're not careful. We'll uh, be joined uh, and actually meeting with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Uh, We're wrapping up the show, but uh, fun is still ahead. We'll be right back. Let's throw it down now to our good buddies at uh, BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jason. Hello, gentlemen. Why would you do this to us and play that song? Why? <laughs> well, because if we didn't play that song, we'd have to play this song. Good choice. <laughs> I had that out of my head I for know. the first time in like 24 hours, and now again, it's it will back. be in my head all Long. But don't forget, do not forget this one. Another favorite. Next I would time. win an election in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> That's Spencer as Jimmy Fallon as Donald Trump. As Donald Trump, correct. That's an accurate assessment. <laughs> Jason, you've missed out. Again? Can I hear that one more time? You bet, you bet. Next I would time. win an election in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> This I is, love it when people are talented enough to be able to do impressions of other people doing impressions. I know. That is a skill. It is a lost art. I mean, a lot of people just do the, the first impression of the original person. They take the easy way I out. I know. Losers. Here's, here's, by the way, I don't want everybody to think that Jerem is the only one that, that can sing. Oh, yeah. I'm, I can <laughs> flat bring it man that's, that's that's very it's a is that a yodel by the way that's a yodel i don't it's, even know what to call that. we call that the hernia yodel that's what we labeled it as you want to know what song is in my head and what? i think because it's in my head so much i think it's now in spencer's head because i heard him humming it as we were walking down the stairs to come into the studio what? everywhere you look the theme song from full house Everywhere you go. Which is da, now da, Fuller da, House da. is out today on Netflix. I know. Yes. Why? Yes. Why? Why? And what Jason you... Shepard's uh, longtime crush, Jody Sweeten, <laughs> is still starring in or, it. Or uh, Candace Cameron Bure. Oh, yeah. Ah. Can- Candace Cameron. Man, when, yeah. like, when you're 10 years old. Oh, yeah. DJ? <laughs> DJ and Stephanie. Yes. <laughs> Those were the days. Holy cow. Yes. Did you guys hear that Saved by the Bell uh, has a new diner Absolute. in Chicago? Absolutely. You got to love it. I'm sure 20 people will go. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to be Zach. Did you Zach really? Morris. You remind me Morris. of Zach. You really look like Zach. I, he, was, he was the dude when I was uh, in elementary school and in uh, early junior high years. I was, I was more – I related more to Screech. Okay. <laughs> I was more so AC. I was more AC Slater mostly because of the perm and the mullet. Well, and the and the and <laughs> the <laughs> not even the not even the muscles, huh? More the mullet. Just the so perm and the mullet. <laughs> That's right. That is so sad. Hey, guess what today is, you guys? Um, Friday? No. Yeah. National Yes, it is Friday. Hot dog day. Nope. It's mm. pistachio day, but Ooh. but it's really the big one is it's for Pete's sake day. 
for Pete's sake day. day. Who was Pete, by the way? Uh, I don't know, but he got in a lot of trouble. And uh, the problem with uh, for Pete's sake, this is, these are all the euphemisms that we use. So like for Pete's sake and, or like, you know, in the LDS culture, we don't swear. So we just say flippin' heck mm-hmm. or freak or fetch. Mm-hmm. So I want to know what your favorite <laughs> flippin' euphemism is. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of some random fun ones that I've – There's almost too many to think of mm-hmm. because we do as, – as a, as a people – uh, we do come up with some creative ways to say things without saying things. <laughs> <laughs> ex- we speak in code. Yeah. Like there's, uh, my, there's My favorite one is when I get frustrated, I just say swear word. Insert swear word here. <laughs> so Which is sad. just as bad probably because people are like, oh. Well, maybe it's my southern Missouri upbringing, but yeah. I enjoy dad gum. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's dad a – well, that's a keeper. And, 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 and dad, dad gang it. and da- dang it and, and darn it. Judas Priest. <laughs> Apparently, people use that one a lot. Uh, Aw, Scrud. Aw, Scrud? I've never heard that one. I haven't before. either. Sheesh. Flippin' yeah. Freak, yeah. Fetch, Flip. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> fetch is like, what's what movie is that from? Fletch. That, that, is, that is so Fetch. Oh, is that I don't. Mean Girls? Yeah, is probably. It? That sounds yeah. like a Mean Girls it's movie, like a, it's by a the way. Good thing. It's a good thing in that movie. Yeah. Like, oh, totally good so thing. Um, you guys want to hear a really cool story. Um, we've talked about it before on the show, but out of Australia, they pulled out um, another Fatberg. Do you guys remember our lesson on Fatbergs? Oh, boy. Jason, were you here for that? I, I was not here. Oh, this is just uh, They did it in London, right? Yeah, in London, oh. a lot of people pour oh. grease down the drains, and then Ugh. the gutter or the sewage areas get filled with fat and sewage and other stuff, they, like uh, everything that shouldn't go into the sewer. And then they get clogged up, and then sometimes they freeze in the winter, oh. and the fat coagulates, and they take out like thousands and thousands of tons of Fatberg. It's like an iceberg <coughs> full of fat. Anyway, they found another one in Australia that we're going to put on our Twitter page uh, hanging from a crane. It's just a must-see. Wait a minute. It's big enough that a crane has to take uh-huh. it out? Oh, yeah. Oh. It weighs – it's a huge – like, you know when you put a hanger or whatever down the, down the drain to get a clog undone sure. and, and you pull yeah. it out? It's that. But it's oh. that for, like, the city of – Sydney. Sydney. <laughs> It's the Sydney drain. Anyway, fascinating. And I don't know why I want you to look at it, but I want to look I want to watch you looking at it. And I want it's to like, s- It's like why people go to uh, you know to the NASCAR events, you know, they they don't want to see a wreck, but they do want they to do. see a wreck. Yeah, it's a wreck. Nobody wants to see it happen, but no. you you're kind of waiting for it to happen. And you feel bad when it does. But it's not like, you know, when you're looking at Thousands of pounds, 750 kilograms, is that it? Seven meters long. Oh, Oh, no, that's just the thing they use to pull it out. Anyway, I won't get into the details. But what it is is we're flushing things that shouldn't be flushed. A lot of people are flushing these wipies, and these wipies don't flush well. Well, so where are they – once this has been taken out, where is it going? Um, Compost. No, I have no idea. It sounds it, – don't even ask that question. <laughs> this oh. is like as long as we don't know where it goes, that's, we're fine. Yeah. This just in from our uh, – we have people on the scene, and they tell me it goes to alternative fuel resources. So it can actually fuel like – it, it'll be the energy for Sydney for the next year. 
Okay, well, I mean, so I fat burgers aren't all bad. I guess if you can if you can do something like that, I guess yeah. it's, there's a benefit to well, it. Well, and in London, because they're made of so much oil and wax and stuff, that they actually you can make them into candles, burn <laughs> them in your house. Oh, but that would be goodness. pleasant. Ugh. Sick. Hey, what uh, you guys doing your show today? I mean, if no, you need we're stuff, the day off. if you need stuff, it is Friday, so we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel. Or you've made me sick, and I need to go home now. I know you get sick every time we talk about these. You're very sensitive that way. <laughs> well, the saxophone and then the fat bird did it in. Yeah, the, the I think I think it's I don't know what. Why don't you just tell us what's going to be on your show, and we'll just. <laughs> Will live on in infamy. <laughs> I Look heard what that you've song. done. Look what you have done, Matt. I, I heard know. that song on the way in to work today, actually. Did you really? Yeah, it was seriously on. Yeah. In the I was listening to the 80s on 8. Oh. And it was on. And it was on. Did you sing it like that? Um, no. Um, but oh. I did sing it. But you Not gotta, even going to pretend that I didn't. You should have been there, Jason, because wow. it was a beautiful moment. I don't know that I've ever seen Jerem commit more. I mean, when he had his hair cut because of the, the lice thing, that was one thing. <laughs> or the Gonzaga win. I don't think or the Gonzaga the lice, win. Oh, it was, I can't remember the reason he had his hair cut. But when he committed to this so big time. It was amazing. And that's what you have to do. Yeah. If you've got to sell it. <laughs> you don't want to half-heart that song. Okay. Okay. Listen, while we're serenaded by Jerem Jordan again in that saxophone voice, <laughs> I will tell you in 30 seconds what's happening what's on, on the show. show. Okay. First of all, BYU men's basketball won a fifth straight. Kyle Collinsworth, yawn, has an 11th NCAA triple-double, okay, which is just adding to his 11. already record. Yeah. And they host Gonzaga tomorrow. We're going to break down the significance of not so much last night, but why it's all about Saturday. And guess what, Matt? What? There's a new power couple who? on campus. Who? You got to watch. You got to watch. Okay. Listen to the I'll show. watch. I'll watch. Okay. You guys, you're a tease. That, that was a good tease. Here, here's right? my favorite. Perfect tease. Here's my favorite Spencer moment. Next I would time. win an election in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would. Well, guys, it sounds like you got a great show. <laughs> Uh, you got a great show. You got the the power couple, the Gonzaga, Gonzaga, Gonzaga uh-huh. game. We've got Nate Austin in studio. Nate We've Austin, got Brendan Sander of men's volleyball in studio. It's all good. You got Spencer Linton doing Jimmy Fallon, doing Donald, <laughs> doing Trump. Donald Trump. Yes, this is good. And you got Jason on board. So guys, have a great show. Well, we Thanks. will do that. Seriously, do that. knock them dead. And I'm just going to leave you. Fatberg. Hashtag <laughs> Fatberg. Hashtag <laughs> Fatberg. And gross. and Jerem Love. <laughs> Goodbye, Bane. Bane loves the saxophone. Good job, Bane uh, at McDonald's. Good job. Interesting stuff, folks. Good show. That you got to stay tuned. It's only six minutes away, and then you will be just taken to a completely different world, but a world where they don't bring up fatbergs, and a world where you'll probably be serenaded, and they'll be doing impersonations. It's called BYU Sports Nation. Stick with them. Hey, um, we've got to wrap it up. Today is pistachio day, so make sure you go you know, get some pistachios. And I always like to save the ones you can't open for mom. <laughs> mom loves those. Hey, um, a- another funny, uh, I guess, sad, crazy story um, of a uh, – you know, we want to help everybody on this show. We want to help those that are healthy and strong and also –
Uh, a little advice for the thief out there. If you are going to try to run off with a laptop computer, you might want to make sure it's not plugged in. A man entered a Russian furniture shop, looked around, saw no one from the store, and decided to steal a laptop off a desk. As he grabbed the computer and turned away to run away, the suspect trips and crashes to the ground. The laptop is uh, is snapped out of his hands because he had forgotten to unplug the laptop's power cord. See, this is why you need a Mac or a MacBook. They'll just pop right out, magnetic. But this one... <laughs> Brought the guy right to the ground. The loud crash alerted uh, one of the female employees who ran over and, uh, you know, started grabbing him and trying to collar the thief. The feisty shop assistant then subdues the thief by sitting on him. She holds his uh, arms behind his back and asks her colleague to phone the police. Powerful stuff, folks. If you you want to be a better criminal and you're going to just kind of do a snatch and run, Make sure the thing you're going to snatch and run with is unplugged. I'm serious. It'll bring you to your knees. If you don't, you're going to get caught. Um, We talked earlier about the Saved by the Bell-themed diner that's going to be coming to Chicago. If you're feeling nostalgic for the 90s, and who isn't, by the way, you probably are um, about, you know, if you're between the ages of 25 and 35, Saved by the Bell is one of your favorite shows, of course. And they're going to be opening up um, a restaurant themed called Saved by the Max, inspired by the show. Um, and it's basically going to, I guess, look like the, the diner from the show. And they'll serve things like AC sliders and preppy BLT and macaroni and screech, belding fries, and Lisa Turtle milkshake. And you can go in there and even, you know, go in costume. They'll have karaoke. Trivia, dance parties, sounds like a lot of fun for a very, very small niche of, niche of people. Um, anyway, folks, as you know, we like to end the show on a hero story. And we got a great one uh, today. Listen to this. A St. George, Utah re- uh, student resource officer named Matt Schumann is the hero of the day. Saving two lives on two separate occasions in the same day seems amazing. But to Officer Matt Schumann, it's just another day on the job. Officer Schumann was in the office of the school where he works with a female student who was brought in feeling flu-like symptoms. She began to throw up, then collapsed. Schumann, sensing something was wrong, decided to check the student's symptoms again and called an ambulance. The student started having a seizure and going into cardiac arrest. Without thinking twice, Schumann began CPR on the student and continued until the EMTs got to the school. The student was revived and taken to the hospital in Vegas. Just hours later, Schumann got a call informing him of a nine-day-old infant who was choking just a few houses away from his current location. He hurried to the scene and began administering CPR to save the baby. He saved the child's life as EMTs showed up and were able to continue caring for the child. He has been praised by his school district for his quick thinking and fast response. In a press release, the school said, We appreciate our partnership with the student resource officers in Washington County School District and thank the local police agencies for their unfailing dedication in keeping our students uh, safe and sound within the boundaries and, uh, and uh, helping them uh, also learn along the way. Our heartfelt thanks go out to Officer Schumann for his outstanding performance. So there you have it, Matt Schumann. You're the hero of the day on the Matt, Matt Townsend Show. All of us, folks, can be heroes. Just do what you got to do. Do what you can do. Do what you're prompted to do. And be, be a better person. Lift everybody else up. 
That's the show. We'll be back Monday, folks. More ideas, more tools to feel good and learn how to live a healthier, happier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Take care of each other. Watch out for each other's back. We'll talk again Monday.